Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. And this is our science fiction movie podcast. We get together every week, we watch the movie and we talk about it. And it just so happens that Warner Brothers are threatening us this year with a fourth Matrix movie. So it makes sense that we have to do the previous three so today's kind of a big day because today we're talking about the matrix whoop, whoop. i'm excited to start the franchise i haven't watched these films in forever <laughs> i saw the first one not too long ago a couple of years ago uh two and three though i don't think i've seen them since like maybe 2005 or six like i saw them in theaters and i saw them maybe once again a couple of years later and that was it the third one i only saw once in theaters the second one I saw multiple times in theaters because I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> was it a challenging film? <laughs> yes. Do you not remember the last fifteen minutes? <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, I do vaguely remember it. I don't remember well, being. I also really liked it at the time. I liked the second one. I was, you know, I had taken the blue pill, I guess, and <laughs> was like, "All right, a Matrix sequel," and the action was great and. But uh, I think by the last time I watched it, I'm like, you know, I don't think this movie makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to talk too much about the sequels today because I think uh, I guess it's been too long. I have general perceptions of them, but it has been such a long time that I'm curious to find out how they fare when we get to them in the very near future. But today we actually get to talk about the one that's, you know, good. <laughs> the Matrix. Uh, 1999. Kind of this oddly high budget maybe not experimental but kind of a high budget genre film that was given kind of a platform uh, not tentpole budget because budgets had kind of increased to over 100 million dollars already by that time but this was a 70 million dollar budget give or take and that was still pretty big at the time obviously inflation's meant that 70 million is not even you know so it's a medium budget movie now at best but this is a cyberpunk science fiction film which I, I guess i'll just say full spoilers just from the get-go here because it's the matrix and i feel like you know if you haven't seen the matrix go watch the matrix and then come back and hear us talk about it um but you know it's just this this crazy idea about everyone on earth is actually living in a digital dream world because machines are using us uh, on a farm as batteries and this is just a fake world to keep us at bay so that we're docile and can you know be controlled as they rule the world, and that's that's the, the, the that's your basic premise of the Matrix. And uh, our main character, is someone who we go through the story of him realizing that he's not in the real world, him being woken up, taken out of it, and also a little bit of uh, important detail here. He's also the chosen one who is going to then save the human race and defeat the machines potentially. Uh, so that that is the Matrix in a nutshell. It almost sounds really hokey when you just slap it together in a couple of sentences like that. But uh, it's actually excellent. And it holds up. Because that was the thing. When I watched that a couple of years ago, it has been a long time since I'd seen it. And I was curious, like, is this one that's going to hold up for me? Or is it going to be one that's like, oh, I can see why it was successful, but maybe it's not hitting the notes for me as much as it used to when I was younger. Uh, and if anything, it's gotten better with age. Uh, I think it actually hits every note it was supposed to. It hits even more. The director's recently talking about how it was actually uh, also a story about being trans, which watching it through that lens this time, 
which is the first time I've watched it with that kind of knowledge, added like an extra layer to a lot of the things that were going on. So this will be one of these ones where we sit and talk about what things mean and the themes and the metaphors and how the visuals and the story all adhere to that. But I mean, how, so this is the first time you've watched it in a while. How did you feel about watching it again? I think it's excellent. Like it, it definitely holds up. Even, you know, some of the special effects maybe feel a little bit dated now, but at the time they were so, you know, revolutionary. Like it, technology had to be invented in order to make this movie. And it was just so of its time and ahead of its time. And I think there's just, it's it's so smartly written also with all the different layers. Like if this was the movie that, like if it just stood on its own and there was no sequels, I think the the metaphor even of being the one can translate really well to us who are like have this potential that we haven't been able to tap into because we are like stuck in a system in a machine. And it's I, I really do think it's like a I know it's not that modern, but like it's for, a modern. For, for a second, I thought you meant us personally because you said us and then paused as if you meant just us too. Like, like you know, it works for us because we're special and we haven't broken out of this yet. Are special, <laughs> but I mean the royalty. Yes, uh, no, I, I agree. I, what's funny you mentioned the effects is that bizarrely, other than maybe the music uh, that pops up occasionally, which obviously is just dated because it's all late nineties and stuff, mm-hmm. but. Uh, is that the effects, the, the big sequences that everyone talks about with the effects and the bullet time are probably the things that have, in a way, dated the most because they feel yeah. so entrenched in the time. Whereas the movie's actually very well made and is so... It's, it's really difficult to sort of define how someone's captured lightning in a ball. But I truly yeah. believe this is one of those movies where the premise, how it's told, the performers they've got playing the roles... Uh, the way that the, the thing is paced, the, the narrative structure, the, like you said, the layers that are all going on with the real world, the Matrix, motivations both in and outside of the Matrix. There's so much things that this could easily be a mess. And the funny thing is, is the Wachowskis, like, their career since this has kind of proven that this could have been a mess. Like, this could have been a mess, this film. Because I enjoyed Speed Racer for what it was. It was kind of fun and pulpy and, and whatever. Uh, Cloud Atlas was kind of a like I appreciated what it was trying to do, but it was kind of a wreck. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I actually yeah. I haven't seen a lot of the Wachowskis' work except for The Matrix, and I did go see Jupiter Ascending, and that was I heard that was hard. yeah I heard that was a but I am tough looking one. forward to watching it again because I'm going to keep oh, a more open mind because it was pretty out there when I watched it. Is that you saying that it's sci-fi, so we have to do it at some point, so therefore well, you'll definitely course. see it again? Oh. <laughs> we'll do it before Matrix 4. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I didn't agree to do that this year. <laughs> I dare you. Um, it, it's, I mean, I've not, to be fair, I, I do want to point out, I have not seen Bound, which was the low-budget movie they did before this. And, I don't think I've seen either. And I, I've heard good things about that. Uh, so I'm and I'm curious to check that. It's not a sci-fi well, movie, obviously. Movie that got them like permission to do this one, I think. This is, I think, also the Matrix. They I saw in the trivia that they worked on it for like, they had worked on just the script alone for like five years. Which so I think really I, into it. which I think shows. And I actually, I'm going to say this right now. This is the this is the the music musician and the album problem. Is that a musician or a band have years and years? I technically their whole life in some ways to make their first album mm-hmm. album number two everyone expects it two years later 
I think yeah. that is the number one problem with the Matrix sequels. I think not that they didn't have the ideas of where it might go afterwards. I'm sure there was some sort of like idea and game plan or whatever, but I think you can tell that they spent a long time really thinking through this first movie and knowing exactly what every beat needed to be, knowing how it all fit together. And I think those sequels that maybe have some good ideas in them, and again, we'll find out and rediscover all this when we see them again. But I think that's the one of the biggest things is, is this movie is incredibly tight. There's like one or two dodgy lines of dialogue, maybe that I, I no, noticed, and that was like it. The thing is like rock solid, like throughout. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes where I'm just like, okay, I, I don't need my handheld right now, but thank you, Morpheus. I, in fact, <laughs> well, Morpheus is the worst line in the movie. I'll, I'll, I'll give it, and it's not that it's not that Morpheus is bad or that Lawrence Fishburne's bad. He's mostly amazing, but he does have the worst line of dialogue in the movie. It's when he's explaining everything to Neo when he takes him into the simulator and he shows him the uh, what Earth looks like now and blah blah. And there's a moment where the camera comes down and he's sitting in the kind of the wasteland and he just the line of dialogue he has is "Welcome to the desert of the real." <laughs> and I'm like, "Wait, what?" I don't mind. That line was terrible. That line was terrible. It was cheese core, but I don't mind. It was. He's it so, was so like otherworldly, you know. <laughs> I heard him describe his character as both like a melding of Obi Wan and Darth Vader. I'm like, I get it. That's his motivation, and I like it. <laughs> I see it. He's kind of terrifying, but also like he's you're comforted by his presence. Yeah, the the film like I like, every time I watch it now, I'm I'm impressed with just how tight the script is and how tight the the pacing yeah. is in the film and how it conveys so much information and gets across so many big ideas. And it's so layered in its themes, and it's so layered in its messaging. And it was that before they even added on the extra translator that, you know, the directors pointed out, and it's made me right. kind of reevaluate an extra layer on top of everything, but... So... Yeah, I watched a, an interview with Lily Wachowski, and she was, like, answering questions for, like, the 20th anniversary of The Matrix. Because we're old, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's uh, 22 years old now? Yep. <laughs> so yeah, yeah and uh it was it it really did like change my perception of the film a bit like i just didn't obviously the themes in the movie seem so clear and relatable because we all live in this world where we're like programmed to do what it's what's expected of us that i didn't really even consider like the trans angle from it but that also makes sense like people are born in a sex that it you know, they're told that this is what you are. Yeah, and you I'm, can't get out of that. Obviously, the core idea which we talk about in the themes is that, you know, the idea of be, being a cog in the machine and, like, realizing we can be, you know, and it, it works in the context of the real world, the idea that we are oppressed by society, we're a part of a system, we're not told, you know, we're trained not to be individuals, we're trained to be part of the system, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You got all that stuff, right? Um, And a lot of the, the, the messaging as that's happening also works for, I don't belong in the body that I am in. I, I, I feel this feels fake. There's something not right. Yada, yada, yada. And then on top of that layer, you also have the, I can be special. I can be important. I am not just a faceless name in a list of things. I can be important. That's the, that's the whole idea of the one, right? That's why the, the chosen one in this particular movie, as cheesy as the concept can be in this particular film, the whole point of it is that, no, you can be special. You can be important and you might be that important. And that's kind of part of it. The scene that stuck out to me the most, because I was thinking about the extra layer with the trans stuff, 
throughout. But I didn't think it really... It added a little layer to everything. But I didn't... There was one scene in particular towards the end that I thought that it, it came sort of crashing in in a way that... Like, it was there before, and I thought, oh, that adds a nice layer to everything. But I wasn't necessarily thinking it overtakes what I think any of these scenes mean originally. But mm-hmm. during the fight in the subway between Neo and um, Smith... Agent... Is this, is this Smith? Agent Smith, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't myself there. Right. So they're fighting in the subway. As soon as Smith shows up, because he, he morphs from the, the homeless man, and he's there, and he, he looks at Neo and he says, Mr. Anderson, right? And I always remember the way he says that because his delivery is perfect. He sounds so good. He's like, this is the perfect vehicle for him hamming it up as a villain, right? Red Skull, yeah. Hugo Weaving, I hate. This Hugo Weaving, love. But what stuck out to me is that as soon as he said that, I went, oh, wait, he just used his dead name. And I thought, that, that this clicks with the trans thing so much. And right. I'd, I'd forgotten that the scene ended with Neo saying, my name is Neo, and like sort of defying him and saying, no, that's not my name, my name is Neo. And I'm like, shit, this, this scene especially fits so well with what, what they were saying in that interview. Uh, uh, so, I, yeah, that, that was the one that really stuck out to me, was, was right. that, that name scene. Yeah, I, I mean... Before, uh, before watching it with this lens, now I always thought that, well, he sort of represents, like we get the scene in the beginning of the film where Neo sees his boss and his boss calls him Mr. Anderson and tells him why he doesn't, why he's not being a part of the team and, and mm-hmm. how he doesn't like authority and stuff like that and he calls him Mr. Anderson all the time, during that uh, during that scene. So it was sort of like, yeah, this is kind of like the bigger macro of that uh, of that uh, that smaller version of the <laughs> of what's actually happening so he also represents like who's really in charge and, and it, great break through that and it absolutely okay. still does mean that uh, that's the beauty of this is that it still means those things too it means both right yeah right but because that like that connection was so strong like i didn't even think about watching it and or making the connection to what seems so obvious now yeah the trans storyline yeah it it, is super impressive because it because it works really well in that that way too like the idea that he represents oppression and that you know neo's trying to break out and he's just saying no 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 i'm not using the name you gave me i'm i'm this is the name that i chose for myself kind of thing but that's one i I feel like a lot of the other scenes in the film like i still kind of came out thinking Oh, the themes that I thought was that were prominent before are still the most prominent ones. But that this is the one scene where I kind of went, no, this feels like the trans sort of layer of of uh, analogy feels at at the top. If I I couldn't not think about it during that scene, uh, and mm-hmm. it, it made it you know just that a little bit more powerful. And it's already a good scene <laughs> for you know numerous reasons. Uh, yeah. Let's stick with themes. Let's let's stick with the humanity and oppression and those things because there's a lot of wonderful things that the movie does early on to uh to kind of there's some foreshadowing like i you know i i things like the guy who shows up at neo's door saying you need to unplug man and stuff you know and that's literally what happens later as he unplugs uh you know it's you have I mean, Cypher is like the big one, right? Like the big analogy of the people who don't want to leave the Matrix. Yeah, oh, the for, sh- for sure, content, yeah. Like most people would probably take the blue pill. 
Yeah, I mean, even because even before we get to this, I mean, obviously it's teased before then, but like even before we get to his proper heel turn, as it were, you have mm-hmm. when when Neo is explaining, or sorry, when Morphe, sorry, is explaining things to Neo, and he's he's going through the crowd and he's saying, "Hey, most people are, you know, they're not ready to be woken up." Blah 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 blah. They you know, they they are comforted by the system they're in, and that you know that really rings true. The idea that you know there's so many people who will argue for the status quo, and part of it is almost just a convenience of you no know, change means effort, change means we have to accept differences and that's not you know that doesn't work for me brother to to borrow a wrestling phrase um, you know what's so interesting is that in the trivia i read i don't know when this question was asked but uh both lily and lana were asked um if they would take the red or the blue pill and they both answered blue pill which is so interesting because their life story is breaking out of the mold <laughs> breaking out of the matrix that's kind of funny. I, I, I guess that builds back to this is a movie and it's an analogy. It's not. <laughs> it's not real. Ultimately, when you when you this is this is, this is the, the it's thing. It's hard to break the status quo, though, right? Like you know what? It's better the devil you know sometimes. Well, no, I, I think this extends beyond that, though. I think this is this comes back to the complaint that always comes up with superheroes is that this is not realistic. And I'm like, I don't care if it's realistic. That it's it's a it's a movie. No one cares. There's a great quote from Grant Morrison uh about uh kids right so I, I, a child when they watch a movie that has like a singing crab they know that real crabs don't sing and they don't care they don't ask questions about it they just know it's not real but if you give an adult something like a work of fiction all of a sudden they start questioning everything and they're like why isn't that why is this different from real life and i think this ki- kind of plays into this in a little way because I, I think the point of their answer is more that well if the world's actually that shit, why bother fighting it? <laughs> we'll just stay in the simulation. <laughs> but this is a story that has to have heroes. It has to have, you know... And, sure, and maybe- but if you watch stories that, you know, we're not allowed to ask questions for, then we end up with, like, a billion Michael Bays out there for directing and writing and not <laughs> the Wachowskis. <laughs> oh, but that's not, the, that's not the point I'm making, though. That, that's, that's, that, that's, that's taking the one statement and applying it to everything without context. <laughs> that's not the same thing um you know every story is different. every story has something to say but as long as it satisfies the purpose of what it's trying to say it doesn't matter if i mean, maybe you could look at it this way that both of the choices are saying no because we're, we're not heroes we made a character who is heroic enough to do this we wish we were that heroic but we're not but that's kind of the point uh in a real world scenario though they're heroic enough to make a movie that's posing these questions they're heroic enough to talk about this that so uh I guess what I'm saying is don't be hard on the Wachowskis for saying they take oh, the, the blue pill. <laughs> I, I admire their honesty. <laughs> honesty, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know what I take. I, I hate questions like that. I hate being asked questions. Would you do this in a movie? I don't give a... I don't care. I'm not in the movie. I'm not the character. That's not the I mean, important thing. things that I feel like I have taken the red pill, you know, which is the reason why I don't eat animal products anymore. It's I've seen some, you know, some pretty terrible things and now I, I can't unsee it. I can't unknow the truth about it, and so I don't partake partake in it. But people, you know, people sometimes will ask questions like, you know, what, what would you do in this movie, or what would you? And I I, I kind of hate those questions because I'm like, I don't I don't see myself in the movie. I don't see my myself as a character in these <laughs> things. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> oh come on, it's kind of fun to do what if scenarios in your in your mind, <laughs> and to really to really like analyze like maybe there's something about me that I should change. <laughs> If I don't like my answer, uh, <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm saying it's okay to say that 
that I know I'm not John McClane. I don't have to be John McClane. I guess because I'll be a good person in the real world without being an action hero who can jump away from explosions and save hostages. But you like answering questions like who would win Batman versus Superman? No, I hate those questions. What? <laughs> I hate those questions. It's so immature and juvenile and nerdy and it doesn't matter. They're, They're just like clearly <laughs> Batman. So I guess you need to All right. think about it. Well, I I can almost hear Matt putting out the hit on Tara from a distance. Uh uh silly question. Um if I, I believe I never watched it, but I, I think there's a good rant from Stan Lee talking about how, how much he hates those questions about who would win, someone versus someone. Uh, but we're veering off topic. <laughs> back, back to the, back to the Matrix. I don't know how that was your. I don't know how it was your fault, but somehow that was your fault. <laughs> I don't know. I tried to talk about something else, and you went back to it, so it's your fault. <gasps> don't play my dirty tricks back talk on me. Talk about the red pill thing, and you went right back to the hypothetical question. You weren't done ranting. <laughs> oh, I hadn't finished my point yet. A... <laughs> well, I thought you were done. I'm done now. We can proceed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, no, it's a, like there's a lot of visual cues that are really nice. You know, when, when Neo's at his office job, he's literally in a grid of squares. It's very like how a computer would design a layout. Uh, mm-hmm. simple, simple little things like that. Um, obviously it's very nineties because you have like the the uh, you know it's very it's a very nineties looking website that he's on, and it's like oh this takes me kind of oddly back to when I first got a computer, and I didn't even have one in the nineties. I didn't get one until like two thousand one, but uh, it didn't change that much by two thousand one. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's uh, it's got a real interesting look to it. Also, with the like every time you're in the Matrix, there's like a green. David Fincher filter over top of it, <laughs> and then every time you're outside of outside of the Matrix, you, there's you know, everything's a lot of there's a lot of blue, which is interesting because blue's not re- blue light isn't actually very natural, but <laughs> it is in the Matrix. Yeah, well, g- g- the harsh green isn't natural either. Interestingly, on that subject though, is that it's a lot greener than it used to be. They they rechanged how how colored how colored the green it was after the sequels came out, because they wanted to match the sequels, the original mm-hmm. version of The Matrix was actually a little bit more blue uh, back when it first came out. But all the Blu-rays and current digital versions are all the new color coding. So, Well, I appreciate the color coding. Like, Obviously, it's not necessary, but I think it, it does add to it. Because every time we enter The Matrix, uh, we don't... go through a computer screen which always uses green digital lettering oh for sure uh, don't, don't mistake what i'm saying though it wasn't that there wasn't coding before it was just slightly different there was still a difference between the real world and the matrix yeah it was just it was just more of a, a bluer world than it was a green world but it was different from the real world it was there was still a distinct visualness to mm-hmm. it yeah uh, okay I, I, I mean i haven't said because i haven't you know i got rid of the dvd a long time ago because i'm not watching stuff in standard definition what am i some sort of chump uh so <laughs> so i don't remember it's been a long time but uh i used to have the old snapper of warner brothers blu-ray with the what the, the, you know the clip at the side and it opened up i hate those things oh yeah to prevent theft they were awful mm. awful um so but yes you you have 
Oh, sorry. Let's just let's <laughs> just let's just go through it because I don't know where to start. There's so many okay. things. We'll just we'll just see where it takes us as we as we as we start going through it. Um, because you have your your introduction with Trinity, uh, where it teases who they're looking for, and it gives you a sense of how dangerous the agents are. It gives you a sense of uh what the fight still would be. There's like you know, there's the one moment where she sort of jumps up and the camera spins, but there's not a lot of that after that for a long time. Like it's just a little tease, and then. You know, we come back much, much, much later to that stuff. Um, did you ever watch like the behind the scenes and how they, how they created that? I I did. Yes. Uh, a ring of cameras all you'll, around. You'll notice that the era in which I saw a lot of extras is the era in which I was, you know, young and was. <laughs> I, I I when you know when I got a DVD, I watched everything that was on the damn thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, I I watched the Matrix Revisited. Uh, Hey, Back and you know, Kia Moss did like all of her own stunts. Like she really trained hard for the film. Yeah. Uh like even the things that look like CGI almost. Like it's it's her like superimposed into it. And uh yeah, good for her. She's awesome. Yeah, I mean the cast in jet, I mean it's, it's, yeah, we're spinning out, we're barely made it to the first scene, we'll spin it into the cast. But yeah, uh Karen Moss is really scene. <laughs> yeah. Well Karen no Karen Moss is good. Uh obviously uh, Keanu it was kind of funny because he was known for Bill and Ted. He had a you know decent success with Speed, of course, uh, which we talked about on okay. Patreon uh, at Point Break, yes, which was a little bit earlier than that. But it'd been a little while, you know. He'd went a few years in the nineties without like a huge starring thing, and then The Matrix instantly became the thing he was going to be known for forever. Like, I mean, sure, yeah. don't get me wrong, he has John Wick now, and he has those things that were earlier, but I think when the dust is settled i mean john wick's maybe more prominent now because it's still going on and there's still you know there's more coming out and stuff and i I, I don't know i think it'll be remembered you know definitely john wick will be his late career kind of like resurgence like badass role but i think that the matrix i think is going to like him as neo is going to be the main one well that's the one in the middle of his career that really like oh no he's definitely always going to be a star people no matter where his career goes after this everyone's going to always remember keanu reeves because he was neo in the matrix right Plus, I mean, you don't really get you, you don't get Keanu as um, as John Wick without him being Neo in the That's Matrix, true. right? <laughs> That's true. Uh, people might not have had the idea of putting him in a movie like that had it not been for the yeah. Matrix. That's he he did a couple of action movies beforehand, but this was some pretty heavy like stunt work, and he had to really learn how to you know do combat. It's actually kind of interesting that Lawrence Fishburne really didn't have much of a career. I mean, he's had a career, but, like, he never became a star. He was happy being a character actor for the most part, it seems. I mean, I assume he's happy. I mean, maybe, maybe he hates his career. I don't uh, know. He did, I, I didn't listen to a podcast with Tarantino on it, and he was supposed to be Jules. Like, he that, that was the first person he went to for the role, and he turned it down. And because of... He turned it down because, like, his agent said, don't do it. <laughs> and I want to point out... You're a bad guy if you do it. And then he... So he turned it down, and then there's an up and comer named Samuel Jackson that they yeah. gave it to. Yeah, the point dead. I would make on that is that look at the career Samuel Jackson's had since Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> look at the thirty years that man has had since Pulp Fiction. It is maybe. Like, Do you think Lawrence Fishburne doesn't look at Samuel Jackson and said that could have been me? <laughs> seriously, go to my letterbox page. Go to my all-time stats. Who's my most seen actor? Who's the actor I've seen in the most films? It is one Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> right. Kind of makes me feel bad for Fish. 
<laughs> for oh, fish. Wow. We just call him fish now. Is that his that that kids call him? That's his code name. Everyone knows. Everyone uh, calls him fish. Did you know that he used to be credited as Larry Fishburne? No. Because if you watch an eight million, if you watch, if you watch an eight million Elm Street Part Three, The Dream Warriors, he's in that, and he's credited as Larry Fishburne. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think maybe he was in Pee Wee Herman also. I know I've seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Well, Pee Wee Herman was the Pee Wee's Playhouse was a TV show also, with Lawrence Fishburne was Cowboy Curtis in it. I was in a TV show. I, 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 I'm just saying this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those really trippy kids shows that, I don't know, it seemed like it it should be like wrong or dirty or something, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It was genuinely like just kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne gives this kind of, I'd call it like gravitas, but with like this sense of like almost na- naive hope. Because I think one of the things that runs throughout the film is the idea that he might be delusional that he thinks Neo's the one. Even the idea that he is the one, like we never, we never really get to see where he got the idea that Neo himself is the one. You know, we never get the this is what told him that Neo's the one in the first place. We just come into it with him already thinking Neo might be the one, and then he's just more convinced as the movie goes on. So it does come off as a little bit he might just be crazy <laughs> like he might not know what he's doing well he's still confident and like yeah. just if neo ends up not being the one like he it would just shatter him you know yeah he's so invested in it yeah well I, I to go back to the themes i think part of that for me is the idea that if you if you if you go back to the idea of like someone having to like sort of find themselves and sort of not be just part of the machine and then sort of become who they're supposed to be whether you take that as the the, the trans kind of style of story or if you go down the, the the traditional thing that most people sort of looked at before is the you know just becoming important being your own self and not part of you know don't be robocop don't just be the tool for the government don't be that right you know a lot of science fiction tackles that type of topic right cyberpunk especially does it all the time dystopian stuff does it all the time mm-hmm. and if you look at that I think the idea of, and to an extent Trinity as well, especially with her, the ending stuff with her with the love and all that, but I think the idea of, like, having someone to, like, believe in you and support you and no matter what, believe that you can be the best version of yourself is kind of the point of Morpheus. And so, and it's, because it's, it's, you were saying earlier about how the first movie would stand on its own, and I think it's kind of true. I think... You, in a way, from memory, the sequels to me feel kind of like fan fiction. And I know, obviously, it's the same creators, it's them doing their yeah. thing. But they feel like fan fiction, in a sense, because the first film has a clear thing that it's trying to say. And the ending of the film, if you're reading it and you're thinking about it, says that. And it's done. And obviously, from a plot perspective, yeah, there's tons of things you can do now, because Neo's Superman, and he can save Zion, and we can see the war, and all that. And that's what's in the sequels. But it feels kind of fan fiction because the the core message, and I'm hoping that when I watch the sequels again, I'll be able to see something in there that feels like an actual statement being made, as opposed yeah, well, to, you know. That's, that's the thing that that is lost when you add a sequel to it, because if he is, if if Neo represents like the hero, the the chosen one, then he is special. But if he just represents like what we all have inside of us that could come out if we, if we, if we have this untapped potential, 
that we're just being oppressed by something else, then that's a much stronger message. And, you know, other stories where you're like, oh, you're the chosen one can be a little bit hokey, but this one doesn't really come off that way because it's used as a metaphor. But because we get the sequels where he actually does do all this great stuff, yeah. and you're like, it, it feels less like it's a metaphor now and more like, no, he is the only person in this world that's special. Because I think before the sequels came out, to me, the ending was like, oh, that's it. The story's over. He saved him because he, he can't do anything. And that's it. I don't need to see it. Like, I didn't need to yeah. see the next parts because they told me repeatedly. You want to see the, uh, the sweaty rave that's going oh, on? Oh, my God. I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> but, you know, the ending of the film, like, basically said to me, no. Because all throughout the whole thing, they're saying, the one can fix all this. The one can save us all. The one can do this and that. So at the end, when he is the one, he flies up, you know, to to the camera in the sky. I thought, all right, story's over because like they presented it, and he seems like he can do that now. So the idea that they're still, and that was one of the problems of the sequel as well. And I, I, I promise we won't talk too much of the sequels, but just from memory, like, You're right. how do you present him with a threat when he becomes this powerful? And that's where we get to. Quite frankly, that awful fight with tons of Agent Smiths where they all look like PS2 characters. And, you know, but I mean, again, memory does whatever. So, anyway, what were we talking about? Yeah, Keanu Reeves. And, uh, oh, I was talking about Morpheus and how his support of Neo and belief in Neo is important to his character arc. And the idea that in the real world, you know, having a friend or a loved one who believes in you and supports you no matter what, even if it is just almost made up, like, it doesn't it's not that you've proven to them in some way that you are special but they believe in you're special and that almost gives you the ability to believe it yourself and therefore so the idea that if you do break the shackles of society if you do if you don't be trapped by society's ideas and maybe that is something as simple as oh i'm you know in your case being vegan and saying i'm not going to just like be a part of that system or in other cases i don't know uh you know maybe protesting against certain things you, you disagree with that are going on in the government or whatever it may be. But doing so feels freeing, it feels liberating, and you feel that you can stop bullish. You feel that you can jump rooftop to rooftop. You feel that you can do these things. That's what the metaphor is. And and this is the thing, as I was watching it again, like all, once Neo's introduced, almost every scene, I could see the messaging and how it was being presented to me. And this is one of these things where the more I see this film, the better it gets because every time I watch it, I'm paying attention to all the subtext, I'm watching all the layers, I'm seeing how are they presenting ideas to me it's through the dialogue, through little character interactions, which is why when Morpheus has a terrible line of dialogue like, welcome to the island of the real, I'm like oh, that's out of a stupid movie with exposition stop it <laughs> get back to the good stuff Matrix thank you, and I'm making fun of that line it's like three seconds, whatever but <laughs> It doesn't bother me. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite as bad as it's a hole in the world, which Keanu uttered in speed, but... <laughs> Again, it didn't bother me. <laughs> You're so picky. I'm a bit picky, it's just the line bothers me, alright? It's just stuck out to me. It's like, Alright, so Trinity, we're back to the start of the movie. Trinity <laughs> runs from the agent, and it teaches us how dangerous the agents are, uh, it shows that she can jump from building to building, uh, mm. the agent does the same, and... All the you police know, officers don't know what's going on. Yeah, I love the tense moment where she sort of dives through the window, but when she gets to the bottom of the stairs, like she's, she doesn't know if he's going to come right in after her. And she's yeah. like sort of like frozen in fear, and she sort of has to like pep talk herself into like, get up, Trinity. Uh, so, and 
I mean, hell, even that moment, I mean, this is maybe a bit of a stretch, but even that moment is, in essence, is, like, someone having to, like, convince themselves that they can do something because she's, like, she's scared and she's talking herself and he, like, just, if, if, if nothing else, try to let the adrenaline get her through it because she's shitting herself, you know? Right. When, when the oppressors show up again in the form of the agents, like, it causes doubt. Mm-hmm. And which is how they, how they defeat people. Because you see your oppressor again and it just sort of revert back into who you were. So... The agent showing up like they they have this reputation where they are unbeatable and so she now has doubt and no one's ever you know no one's ever beat them uh morpheus seems to be the best of them until neo which is why they're all excited later when they're like hey morpheus and neo are fighting in the simulator this this i'll go watch this this gets yeah, to be good hopping on the tables to get to the <laughs> <laughs> but and then that's kind of the thing where okay morpheus can't even do it and we're told that he up until now at least has been the best and the strongest so mm-hmm. it, it yeah it paints this villain that does keep pushing down it's, i guess the other idea there is that you have to keep fighting you have to keep fighting and eventually someone breaks through and changes something and that kind of extends to society the idea that you know change doesn't just happen because one person tries to initiate it or a group of people like it, it takes time people have to keep pushing and then eventually the right thing will break through um it shouldn't take that long in most cases. It should be something that people just are respectfully understand and go, oh yeah, we should stop doing X thing. Oh, but we're not because we like the status quo. Uh, yada, yada, yada. So, wonderful stuff. Um, and we get a tease of the phone the phone thing, which is how they escape the Matrix. They, they, they come out through the... But it has to be a, a landline. It can't be a, a cell phone. The cell phones get used it for... It con- be a specific one. I'm not quite sure the rules, but like they're always really far away. I don't. I don't think it's a specific one per se. I think it's just the closest one that they can actually access. Because I don't. Because I, I will think, even though they do say that if if they're if they're encountered by like the, the for lack of a better word, the NPCs and the NPCs are real people. They're all people who are still asleep in the farms, right? Mm-hmm. But I will think they go out of their way to like go murdering them if they don't have to. So I think they don't want to like have to break into like houses or so. And maybe it does have to be specific ones, but I, I kind of took it as that's the nearest one that's private because I think if anyone witnesses it, the agents see it. Because right. that's something that's made clear as the movie goes on is that whenever someone witnesses them do something, uh, you know, I guess matrixy, <laughs> I suppose, uh, the agents can sense it. Yeah. yeah. So. Right, and and I don't know. Do we see in this opening scene that the uh, that the agents can take over any? person uh i don't think maybe we can i think it's hinted out with the driver of the truck i don't think we yeah, see it we don't properly see it, yeah because right, so. it's the same with the phone thing i mean even you don't actually see what it looks like when they go through the phone until morpheus like very nearly yeah. end yeah. and it looks cool like when you see it and it's like yeah. it was like and then the phone just like falls right <laughs> it's good it was cool i yeah. i agree because you know the whole movie we've been seeing people disappear but it's just like the camera's not on them when it happens or it happens as something else is happening so you don't get to see it but um when you when you do get to see it it's not like a oh that's disappointing no it's all right it's cool <laughs> yeah and then we're interested in neo who is a hacker he wakes up by his computer he's told on his computer by morpheus to follow the white rabbit you know wake up neo all that stuff and even that line wake up neo like <laughs> that, that even that's got subtext like yeah. he's saying wake up neil like wake up see what's he around you not just yeah. literally wake up from sleep but wake up and you know <laughs> so beautiful stuff uh so he goes to the club even though he doesn't want to just because the girl's got the, the white rabbit uh 
So there's a lot of Alice in Wonderland referencing for like yeah. The first he also third. Um, seems to have this job where he or this um this side gig where he gives people mini disc for lots of money and then they go to party with it. Is it like it's... some sort of like digital drug? I don't understand what it is. What? <laughs> okay, I'm I'm going to try. Make... Too grand. I'm not going to try and make fun of you here, right? But I thought it was pretty clear that he's selling them like software or something to hack things with. It's illegal programs, not music. They're not using the disc at the club. The club. No, he's not the DJ. No, I'm just kidding. Of <laughs> no, I was confused by what it was that he was selling because I, it I, looks like they've come to his place to party because he's got the good stuff and they give him two grand for it. Like maybe that means they it's his. Maybe it maybe it's something very real world like this will get you into a bank account where you can party all night because you have money now. But he paid him two grand, so I don't know what that could be. Or or maybe because this is the Matrix and not reality, like something about the computer coding can affect people like through VR or I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense to me. I think you're overthinking this a little bit, maybe. I mean, maybe there's like a an analogy there about how yeah since they're in the matrix digital stuff can be like drugs i i mean i get why you're saying it's, it feels like a drug deal because of the way he comes up to the door and gives them the money but that's a lot of money right and i feel like this is more about uh because when he, the way he says if you get caught using that like to me it sounds like he's giving him a program that's going to let him like yeah maybe hack bank accounts or maybe spying people it sounds like dark web stuff it sounds because okay we see he's a hacker, so I I, th- I think it's a hacking thing. I think it's just what he trades in is like he, he makes dodgy programs or exploits or Trojans mm-hmm. or viruses or or whatever. Uh, I like the idea that he just paid for a two thousand dollar DJ disc <laughs> to play at the party. Because <laughs> you say many disc, but it was actually like a zip drive. I think it was like a what did you call them? Like a zip disc. They look, look kind of like many disc, but they're a little bit bigger. Uh, like a UHD, a UHD, whatever the 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 little disc that came in the um in the PSPs. Oh, that's a UMD. <laughs> UMD, yeah. Oh, that is old school. <laughs> I don't know what UHD is. I might have just was thinking of uh, UHF and UMD and just. Well, you know, them. UHD is a thing. UHD is it's pointless, but it's the alternate name for 4K. It's Ultra HD. Oh. But it's stupid. Like they should never use it. 4K sounds fine on its own. Don't, don't confuse matters with Ultra HD. Like, it's stupid. like what are you going to call it when we get the 8K Super Ultra HD? Like, I like it. <laughs> all, all the D's, <laughs> the Super D's, the Ultra D's, the HD's, all the D. All right. <laughs> so, great club. Trinity comes to speak to him. Um, there's a line here that kind of stuck out to me a little bit as well. Uh, where he you know she introduces herself and he's like wait trinity you know the the hacker that hacked the the irs or something like that or no it wasn't the irs it was the department of defense maybe uh but whatever uh and he's like damn i thought you were a man and she's like most guys do uh so i, I think that stuck out a little bit more to me um mm-hmm. but yeah obviously this is this is you know we see him at work uh he's been Screwed up, and it is this gray, depressing, grid-like layout of the office. Uh, I do. I always kind of chuckle a little bit that his computer screen is not even on in the scene when he gets like the FedEx like package. 
Just because. Because uh, yeah, he's not doing anything. Like, I, guess, I mean, I suppose the implication is he just sat down, so he's not really started anything yet. Well, but... he, he also just came from his boss's yeah. um, office where he was telling him, like, Mr. Anderson, you have a problem with authority. And yeah, the window, we get the window cleaners on the outside. I, I think it's very intentional that his boss looks a lot like Hugo Weaving. It's not him, but it's intentionally very similar. Yeah. I think yeah. that's right. And uh, then he calls Mr. Anderson. <laughs> and he yeah. calls him Mr. Anderson, of course. Uh, and Morpheus, you know, tells him to like run and hide and get away from the agents on the phone, and it's all this trust thing. But when he's told to, like, you know, go around the edge of the building, he can't. He, he gets too scared. And you know, again, mm-hmm. for the metaphor, like he he comes, you know, he's told that he can be something more and he can do something, but he's like, no, I can't do this, and he, he backs away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Although it is like an impossible angle for him. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know that thing where like would you rather or like put yourself in the situation in the movie like could you do it I couldn't do it I couldn't do this I, I, I do think about like well how would he make it like could he like squat down and sort of like hug the rail <laughs> and make it around it seems like an impossible task uh, I mean could I do it no I know I couldn't do this again some movie <laughs> character it's fine <laughs> onto, it's like a smooth block that's in the way you can't get around that easily or at all <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's taken in by the agents and it turns he, into a horror movie <laughs> Hugo Weaving sits down with him and gives him the whole you know like you lead two lives Mr. Anderson you have this computer hacker life uh, go by the name of Neo, but you're also Mr. Anderson, and you you know you help your landlady and stuff. Uh, but Neo tries to give him a bit of attitude when he gives him the finger and says, "I'll have my phone call." Uh, and yes, his mouth melds shut as they put some sort of surveillance drone thing into his belly button. Belly button. Yes, it's horrific. It's it's pretty nasty. It's it's pretty it's nasty. Definitely- the scene that like stuck out to me when I was watching it the first time, like that's a scene that I had never seen anything like that before, and that like really, I left the theater going. The you know obviously special effects are awesome, but like I'm going to think about that scene in my nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a pretty good scene. I, I think you know the next part where he wakes up and they caught you know the mate the Matrix gang. There's not a name for the team, but you know Morpheus and Trinity <laughs> and Switch and. Morpheus Repnecks. Yes. Uh, and they, they take him. Um, some gorgeous shots here, actually, of like him under the tunnel in the rain, like waiting mm-hmm. for the car. Like, it, it is a very pretty uh, couple, of, couple of shots there. Uh, he's reluctant, but they, they, they use this big device to like suck out the, the bug <laughs> and get rid of it. It's like a shrimp. <laughs> it's like, it looks like a shrimp. But, or like a shrimp and a scorpion combined. It's pretty nasty. But it, it, yeah, it, we also get to see like what, like a machine, something that looks like it should be an inanimate object, come to life, like transform, and into something that is terrible and horrifying. And it's worth <laughs> mentioning that other than that, there's no technology in this world that's actually of the future. This is just straight up 1999, and that's that. That point's made clear a few times that there's nothing yeah. that we like didn't have. Flip- yeah, <laughs> sorry, like the flip phones. Oh yeah, yeah. I Which wanted I... one of those so bad. The one with the, the sliding. <laughs> it's all... so cool. Oh, I mean, obviously it's only 1999 in the Matrix because that's when the movie was coming out, so they just made based it on the time they were in. 
but you know so that, that's all it is but it does make me wonder technically should should in the new matrix 4 that's coming out should the matrix itself still technically be 1999 mm. <laughs> yeah, i don't know i think that's an interesting but again time does still move forward i suppose because people are still growing old and living their lives out so maybe maybe it will still keep going in time uh yeah i don't know but i i suspect well we get more lore in the in the sequels obviously but it, just taking it from the first movie on its own it sounds like 1999 was the peak of human civilization so it's been 1999 for a long time <laughs> because the technology outside the matrix <laughs> has gone on for at least 100 years Mm. so you think they sort of do some sort of like every year they have like a sort of like soft reboot where they sort of like make everyone forget what year it is and they think it's back to the start of 1999 again you could okay i don't know or just like it's it's like uh like fallout where it's a future but it's also the 50s (laughs) yeah oh to go back to the whole uh you know Keanu being in like a box, right? So Neo's in the box in the in, in terms of the cubicle, which again is very grid like, very prison cell like. Again, when he's in the, the, the interrogation room, the first thing we see before we go in the room is the monitors, which are also in a grid, and it's just like lots of him in a box. So there's a lot of imagery of him being confined in mm-hmm. something. Uh which is he's very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so they take it to see Morpheus. This sort of grungy old building, there's like these two red leather chairs and Morpheus waxes lyrically. And this is one of the things that really stuck out to me uh, here is, so obviously this is the, the, the famous red pill, blue pill scene, right? But there's a lot of references here to Alice in Wonderland. And there's already been a couple because of the white rabbit and whatever. But, you know, Morpheus like, hey, do you want to see how far the rabbit hole goes? You feel like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole, blah, blah, blah. I do think it's very interesting, all this referencing, when he does take the, the right pill and he does go into the room uh, to like, go through their process. I found it a wonderful bit of foreshadowing all of the, the the references because what he touches that then kind of consumes him as a mirror and what else could you call a mirror? You could call it the looking glass and he goes through the looking glass. He goes right? through the looking glass. I, I thought that was a, a you know it's maybe a bit on the nose, a bit on, more on the nose than some of the other stuff we're talking about, but you know it works. So in the, in the Matrix, and perhaps there's you know he's being influenced by. By Morpheus to think about like all the all the Alice in Wonderland stuff anyway you know because now because now that he's taking the red pill like things are changing around him the his dream is almost uh come to life and maybe it's a bit more like malleable like people who have those waking dreams can sort of like I don't know manipulate things in their dream uh being influenced by all the rabbit talk and stuff, <laughs> all the alice talk i mean maybe, i never actually even took it as an influence thing i just i mean maybe it is maybe it is him his mind is doing this to the mirror uh mm-hmm. or is this just what happens when you know they're doing this process this is just the, the natural kind of thing presumably though all of this is brought on by the pill yeah i don't i don't think anybody else sees like sees um neo like his hand covered in mirror and like starting to spread up his arm and stuff. I think that's just what Neo sees. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, and we get the, the visuals of the, the farm when he wakes up and we get him in the pod and the goo and, uh, the machines and the, all the lightning going off between the, the, the various 
uh, like towers that are all housing just, you know, rows and rows of people. And it's very unsettling. It's unsettling to watch someone pull these big, like, tubes and yeah. cords out of themselves. Turns out the future, the machines are all very um, big fans of H.R. Giger. <laughs> it looks Giger, right? <laughs> I, I, honestly, I was getting more Borg uh, vibes than I was Giger. Uh, there's, mm. there's a lot of pipes and tubes and, like, you know, black uh, like parts and stuff to the, the bodies. Well, at, least, at least the drone that comes up to see him up close felt that way to me. Obviously, the Sentinels we see later, which are kind of the hunting, like, drones, they're mm. a bit more... Oh, I mean, the straight up, like, like, squids or jellyfish or something like that. <laughs> They've got, like, a very aquatic look to them. Right, yeah. Uh, but he, uh, you know, it's this very like awakening that this is very it's, un, it's unpleasant it's uncomfortable um mm-hmm. i do like that they address very quickly when they when they come and get them because they, they basically the machines just shove them out of a shoot into like a, a pool of like where they probably expect them to just die because he's, he's just listening now he's woke up uh yeah. but they come and, and get him because he's never used his limbs before that's what i was about to say is that i like that they address that his muscles because i because i was thinking about it during the scene i was like you know, he's literally never moved around. So it's not that he doesn't yeah. know how to swim. Maybe in the Matrix he did know how to swim, but sure. his limbs shouldn't work because he's never... And obviously, I think it's an interesting question to ask like real, like a real doctor, like a real physical therapist, <laughs> sure. is sure. that if, if you literally never use your muscles from birth until you if were... You, if you grew up in a bathtub. Yeah, if you grew up to, like, say, oh, what is he here, like 35 or something, um, like... Could, could could you theoretically be could you train them to work or are they just done because you've just never used them like if if you make it to that age without ever using your muscles and obviously I accept that in the movie they've you know they know how to rebuild them because that's what they say they're rebuilding your muscles because you never used them. It takes a long time. Yeah, there's a montage. You know, that's what you do in movies. <laughs> the montage to fix everything. But no, I like that they address it though. But it, it did make me wonder. Yeah, I thought about that more actually when he talks about like why do my eyes hurt in Morpheus because you've never used them before. I like that and, one. And, which yeah. also has other layers on top of that, right? Like you're finally seeing things. Yeah, you're stuff. finally seeing things clearly. Yeah, it's... Been, been enlightened and awakened and all that. But also literally he's never used his eyes before because he's been stuck in a, in a in a pod since baby. Since baby, you know. And uh yeah, so that's when the question comes up in my mind, like, would his eyes work then? Like, if he's, if he's never used them during the development? But whatever, the movie. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'll accept that part. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I'll accept that they will. Uh, but again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't. Um, I, buy, I mean, I think I buy that your eyes would work after 35 years, and I'm just ballparking that. I don't know if that's the exact age here, but I'm just going to say it is. Uh, I, I buy your eyes would work, more than your muscles would. Mm. I don't know why, mm. but my, my instinct just says the eyes would adjust better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you don't have to, I mean, you don't move your eyes. So it's, it's more just a sensitivity thing that maybe you could build up. Maybe you'd have to do it very carefully with just like having a little bit of light and then just sort of slowly sort of introduce them. I, I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, luckily he's born into darkness. That's true. That's true. Uh, and I like this whole like he actually does die like he goes into cardiac arrest and stuff and the reason they have to find him so quickly is because he is like is about to get flushed you know mm-hmm. so he, he sort of like has a heart attack in the in the matrix and then is reborn into the real life 
And then he gets reborn like two more times in the film, but like this is the first one. Yeah, this is the probably the most important one <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, well, in the last one. Because it's literal. Yeah. Um, so, are you guys interested in the ship, the Nebuchadnezzar, and the crew? Uh, some of whom, of course, we've seen at this point. Uh, the villainous Cypher, played by Joey Pants, uh, <laughs> who, who I like a lot in various things. Um, and, of course, we get the brothers who are, who are natural. Uh, they do not have... And I, that's an interesting little bit of the mythology, I think, is that mm-hmm. anyone who's been born in the one city that's left Zion, which we find out is near the core of the Earth because it's still warm there, uh, you know, they don't have the inputs to go into the Matrix. They can't do that. So that's why Tank's job is that, you know, he's the one at the computer who's, like, you know, doing everything because he can't go into the Matrix. He just doesn't no. have the, the... Like, in a weird way, the only reason why they can even go in is because they were designed to in the first place uh, by right. the machines. So They have plugs. They have the plugs for it, yes. Uh, so I, I think that's a wonderful uh, little detail there. Um, and so we get this, we get the explanations of that humans are batteries, that uh, some of the stuff I love about the mythology is that we don't know who struck first, us or them, but we do know it was us that torched the sky. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. the sky is just this awful looking thing. It's like, oh, because they need sunlight because they're all solar powered. Yeah. Uh, so that was like, that was how we tried to beat them. Is to take away the sun. But then it turned against us. Obviously, like we destroyed our planet, but <laughs> also, <laughs> but also now they can use us as batteries. Yeah. I wonder uh, if they have like fields of like kitty cats and other things that they can use. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? All oh, the... I bet they're good. For are batteries. all the are all the pets in the uh, the matrix also all real in the world in tubs? <laughs> maybe maybe not. Maybe it's just all all humans and that's it. But. I like the idea of like the the like water buffaloes or like the D batteries. They're just bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, Morpheus literally holds up a Duracell. Uh, he hides the logo, but you know it's a Duracell. Duracell. Yeah. At one point, I think it's Switch who calls the Neo Copper Top. Mm. Also, like the top of a Duracell battery. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a couple of couple of jokes, which are <laughs> all right. And of course, this section has a lot of fun with the visuals of like switching between the white room to the the apocalyptic look of the city to the back to the white room, and there's, there's all things in there. Uh, and there's some separate stuff with Neo being kind of. I, I, that's part of the movie. Like the order of the conversations kind of mixes up in my head a little bit. Like you know, obviously he's told he's like Morpheus believes he's the one. I think that's when Morpheus is sitting next to him when he's lying in the bed. But then there's another scene with someone else and. And then eventually you get to the training where it's like, okay, it's explained the rules of the Matrix, which is, first of all, and that's I mean, this tightly how this rule comes last, but first of all, uh, if you die in the Matrix, you die in the real world, so there's stakes. And that's important. I think from a storytelling perspective, if you didn't die mm-hmm. in the real world, if you died in the Matrix, this it would be hard to give a shit about anything that was happening after that point in the Matrix. Right. You know, that's the mistake. You'd basically be a god because you'd be invincible. Yeah. At which point, why do you need to like have the one <laughs> like yeah. you can all just be the ones <laughs> um so there's that uh but it establishes you know things like oh we can load training into your brain we can just download into your brain how to do a martial art or fly a helicopter as usually later on or other key skills i assume they all get basic weapon skills or, or hell advanced weapon skills given some of the shit we see uh mm-hmm. the guy and 
we we see all this, and he's he's you know he's he's going strong. There's a kind of a disappointment at a certain point because they do the jump program where he tries to jump a building for the first time, and everyone's watching intently, and they all say no one lands their first jump. Everyone always falls. That's just normal. Nobody uh, makes the first jump. But I do think it does a good job of like giving us a sense of disappointment in the room when he doesn't do it because they're thinking that he's special. He right. might do it the first time because he's special because he's the one. Yeah, um, and Trinity also seems very invested in finding out if he's the one. Yes, uh, and that's the last great irony of her character is that she's trying to find out if he's she's he's the one. But as we find out later, she's been told that she'll the person she falls in love with will be the one. So it's funny that she's trying to establish him as the one so she knows if she loves him. But in ultimately, yeah. but ultimately she realizes, wait, he has to be the one because I'm in love with him. Uh, right. So there's a roundabout fun logic to like her. And it's, it makes sense in, this, in the way that you, you get why she's unsure. And that's how she's yeah. trying. She's trying to make it definitive in her own mind by saying, oh, he's the one. I mean, I think I like him. He seems he's kind of nice. <laughs> Cute. Uh. Yeah. You know, he's, he's good on a bus. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't really speak much. But... <laughs> you know, he says boa a lot. It's like, whoa. whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and of course, the big scene that everyone always brings up is the Kung Fu. It's the, in the dojo where he's learning the various martial arts. And as mentioned earlier, ev- everyone's like, hey, he's fighting, you know, because it's established that the Matrix itself, they don't get like a video feed for but they do get used to being able to read the code, so they can just look at the, the Matrix code and they'll, they know what's happening, which, sure, I'll, I'll buy it, but... <laughs> sure. Uh, but I think when it's their training simulator, because it is their program, they can just look yeah, at it. Yeah. yeah. So they're all watching this fight happen. Uh, and it's like, wait, okay, so he's going toe-to-toe, and it's kind of this thing where, you know, he's getting his ass kicked a little bit, and you're. My, my, I mean, everyone says I know kung fu, but my favorite line of this scene is "Stop trying to hit me and hit me." Like, mm-hmm. I, I, that's a great line. Uh, but of course, he eventually, after a lot of trial and error, lands a hit. I mean, he doesn't actually take the hit. He kind of just, you know, he stops right he before. He stops right yeah. yeah. But it's kind of the moment where everyone's watching and going, "Oh shit!" None of us can do that. Like he just, he he just out out fought Morpheus. Uh, yeah. After some attempts, so it's kind of a big thing. Um, uh, and then you know, then the lessons later uh, are about the you know how anyone can turn into an agent, so you have to take them as enemies, uh, which thematically is very important because it establishes that a lot of these people, you know, like they're not ready to be woken up, and even though we want to wake everyone up, we can't. It's dangerous. Uh, in this right, and, that. and you know, we do see them kill people in the Matrix, so they are killing people who don't realize that they are what they are what they are. You know, presumably some of those people are innocent good people but um i think also because the agents are men of uniform in a way they're they're i mean referred to as agents there's some sort of like government oversight like they're, they're kind of men in black but i think that's also why we, we sort of accept that they that the anybody in a uniform could be potentially bad in the film so maybe we don't feel as bad for the innocent lives that are being taken <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a murky line, actually, in a weird way, because mm-hmm. they're not NPCs. They are all connected to real people. I think, actually, any time an agent takes over someone, they also die. Uh, so the agents obviously don't give a shit. They're, they're happy to just, <laughs> like, kill yeah. left and right. Uh, but it's kind of what I said earlier, where they only kill the ones that they have to actually go through. They never go out of their way to just, you know, start murdering the <laughs> people no. left and right. 
Uh, I think that's important, just from a you know a heroic standpoint. Uh, but you know he he does establish this. You know he tells Neo this, uh, and then of course the the real lesson here that anyone can be an agent is the the woman in the red dress who Mouse is very very proud of. Uh, <laughs> His centerfold that yeah. he's brought to the Matrix. Yeah, lady in red. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's quite striking. Yes, uh, and. He tries to pimp her. He's like, "Hey, if you want some one-on-one time and 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 the, the code, yeah, I got a program." <laughs> um, and maybe get slowly on the ship. I mean, why not? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's technology is going to be used for porn, right? That that's just a rule of nature. If the technology exists, there will be porn. <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it is. Uh, VHS one because it's the one that had porn. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. The internet became the internet because it had porn. These are just the simple facts of life. <laughs> All we can say about it. But anyway. So, oh, I mean, I think what's impressive is that this, like, 20-minute portion of the film that does all these various tests and trainings and things is that all of them... It's kind of an exposition dump. This is a lot of teaching us things. But it's to the movie's credit that the ideas that it te- teaches us about are so interesting that it doesn't just feel like an exposition dump. It feels like things make a whole lot of sense as they're explaining it to us. Yeah, plus, I mean, the choreography that they have for this film is just so exceptional that, like, yeah, okay, they're explaining things, but, like, it's so fun to watch. <laughs> like, who cares, right? Um, do you mean the cinematography? No, choreography, like all the fight scenes and stuff that we get during the expedition dumps. Oh yeah, but that's just, but that's that's just for the uh, the kung fu scene. No, but I'm thinking like all the other stuff, like the the, the jump and the the walking through the street. There's a, there's a lot of style because you know, for example, when they're walking through the street and the woman the red dress is there, like, everyone freezes. It's kind of there's kind of like a surreal element to the shot, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the vertigo stuff of him like saying, "Okay, I can do this. You can, I can jump. You know, <laughs> I, I can make this jump. Why not?" <laughs> uh, it, it, I think it's to its credit that there's enough interesting ideas being weaved throughout this, and just little things like Cypher's dropping all these little like hints that he's kind of unhappy about you know what this world is. He has that scene with Neo where they're kind of like he offers him a drink and he's like, "Hey, you know, I know what you're thinking. You know, why didn't I take the blue pill? You, you know, you can still be like doing all that stuff." And it's not long after this we get the scene of him at the dinner with with you know Agent Smith and eating a steak, eating a steak. Hey, it's Matrix. It's not real, technically. So, okay. <laughs> I wasn't bringing that up. The point <laughs> I, I was about to say that technically they're all vegan, but that's not true because there is one throwaway line that tells them that the yeah, fluids, that the, yeah, the fluids that are all being fed while they're in the tanks are actually recycled dead people <laughs> that have already moved on. I just realized that kind of spoiled something. <laughs> I don't know if you want to take that out or not. What did you spoil? I said they're being pumped full of soil and green. But they say that in this film. Yeah. But I'm spoiling soil and green. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were trying to say you were spoiling. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll accept that soil and green is enough of a reference that everyone will probably get. That I, I, won't, <laughs> I won't be harsh okay. on it. But if Tara just spoiled soil and green for you, then... You may direct your angry messages in the comments below. 
I mean, even people who don't know it probably probably know it. They probably know it, or they probably heard something about it. Probably yes. Wouldn't it be nice if they could watch a movie without the classic twist being spoiled? I watched it that way. Oh, good for you! So you just read it for everyone else then? That's that's, that's what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, I I realized I did it as soon as I did. Yes, yes. You can still take it out. There's still time. No, 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 I want to leave this out. I, I, I think right, this well, now the blood's on your hands. I think the conversation here is far too entertaining now to, to even <laughs> dare take this out. Uh, so, yes. But yes, so... And I, I think there's a there's a mythology thing here that I really like with... Uh, and obviously, thematically, this stuff ties in as well, the Cypher wanting, you know, power. He doesn't care if it's not real technically, but, you know, give me a nice house, make me something important. Uh, like an actor. Like an actor. That was a little meta joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, like that that stuff's like, hey, I'm okay living the sly as long as I get to benefit from it. Which right. again, I think ties into the real world and what, what the movie's speaking about. Uh, right. In a lot of ways. So. The people who who understand the system and understand the how it works are the ones that get to be on top. And I think a very important detail is that he's, you know, he wants his memory wiped. He doesn't want to remember the real world. And I think that's maybe taking it one step further and saying he wants to be ignorant. He wants to be willfully yeah. ignorant of anything that's going on. Well, so that's that what he happy. says when he's eating the steak, right? Like, ignorance, ignorance is, is bliss. Yeah. You're right. You're right. He actually says that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was making a great point, but he kind of did say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so all that stuff kind of comes in a clump. Uh, it's a very eventful like twenty twenty five minutes of like all this stuff happening. Uh, we learn about Zion, the city which we mentioned earlier from Tank. Uh, you know his brother gets very few lanes, which you know made it almost he almost screamed red shirt. Let's be honest, Simmy Mouse in a lot of ways. Uh, and it, is it Apoc? Is like the the, the <laughs> other guy who's <laughs> just there. Yep. He has almost. A-Pok. Nothing meaningful to do except for he has like one lane yeah. when he hands Neo a gun later, and that's about it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think he also says, oh. he says Trinity just before he dies. He's like, Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> do something. <laughs> Come on, Trinity. I'm about to die here. Uh, <laughs> but the big thing is that Cypher's going to betray them and lead the agents to them, but Morpheus wants to take Neo to the Oracle. And the Oracle is something we can't even we can't even really talk about what she is until the future films because we don't really know exactly or get a better context of what she actually is until the third one, I'd say. But yeah. this uh, one she's she mostly just represents like that chapter of the hero's journey where she where he has to meet with uh, somebody who's gonna tell him like a prophecy and stuff like that. Yeah. But in terms of the themes of the film though, what does she represent? Uh I mean why don't you just tell me? <laughs> well, what we should take i've got an answer maybe i'm just asking a, a genuine question like how, how do you testing s- me and i don't like it i'm not testing you i'm not <laughs> testing you i don't necessarily have a great answer for this one I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely asking what do you think she okay well she i mean morpheus has been telling neo that he is the one that he is special and because the oracle told him so he needs to go to the oracle now to be like i don't really feel like i'm special and i want you to reassure me on that and like, cause, cause he's going to go to get the, the answer then like, am I the one? Cause she'll know, right. She'll know if I'm the one or not. And maybe I don't want to be the one. 
maybe that's too much pressure. So he, when he gets there, then she relieves him of that, of that heavy burden. Now he can just be free from the matrix, but not be special. Yes, but she repackages it into another choice, which is almost as grave, right. but in a weird way, it's ultimately him deciding the same thing. He just doesn't realize he's deciding the same thing. Uh, right. uh, which is, you know, either you or Morpheus are going to die, and you're going to have the choice as to which one. And he believes it so thoroughly that you're the one that he's willing to die for it. And that's something you're going to have to, you know. I guess since she is kind of, she's a seer, she is like the, she has the ability to. We to, assume. To, <laughs> they, they right. ex- they, it's actually impressive to me how little they explained what she is in this movie. Like they just say they're going to see the Oracle and other people say they've told her things. She's told, she's told them things. But other than that, they don't even say she's like, you know, they just sort of say, I guess she knows things. That's all. That's basically the, the gist of what they say in this. Right. Like, we don't know if she's like some sort of NPC or if she's just a human that knows the Matrix exists but still chooses to live in it or something. Mm. But um, she's, I guess she also sort of represents the the theme of fate since she is able to have prophecies that, you know, in the when Morpheus first sits down with Neo, he says like, do you believe in fate? And Neo says, no, because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control. But then it comes around at the end where he, you know, goes, she tells him exactly what he needs to hear, right? He doesn't, which is not the truth. And so it's not until he like makes the decision to be the one that he, because he's, he's the one in control now that he chooses to be the one that he's, that he the prophecy comes true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're right. Like, she's giving him the illusion that he's got some control, uh, and even makes it and puts it in black and white and says, "You're going to have this choice," which is him having control. Because like, yeah, because we never mentioned that line where he said, "You know, he doesn't like the idea that he's not in control," which obviously ties into the idea of the Matrix in, in itself because he never had control; he was just a a cog in the machine, as it were. And here, he, you know, is almost deceitful because I think to an extent there is fate, but I don't think it's really fate in a weird way. I think fate's what they call it in this movie, but really it's more inevitability, uh, which I think is a little bit different in that in a society, say, ultimately certain groups are going to rebel because ultimately the the position that they've been put in means that they're going to eventually rise up and do something. It's a matter of time until it happens. And obviously, when you get to the end of the sequel and it kind of does something with that in a way, uh, we'll get into that. But there is something interesting about the idea of he wants control. It feels like he gains that control and realizes it can be important, but ultimately he's just fulfilling something that he was told was fate. So he's also kind of proving Morpheus and the Oracle's points at the same time. Uh <laughs> So there's kind of it's still kind of an illusion, a weird way, which is funny because it's maybe the one thing that kind of implies that the story's not done. It's the only thing really that says to me there's still something for him to, like, you know, break from in some way in the future. Yeah. It's it's very minor though in the scheme of things because again, I don't think it needed sequels. I think you could you can never watch the sequels. You can watch this one movie and it's perfectly ended, <laughs> like it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So. But he goes to see the Oracle. Uh, it, it starts to tease. If I, if I have a minor quibble 
just a minor quibble. I do think the way it teases what Trinity's been told by the Oracle is a little bit just stilted because it, it, it boils down to her almost telling him like two or three times where he's like, what did she tell you? And she's like, she told me. And then she just stares off at his space and then like they get interrupted. And then again, when they're about to go back out of the Matrix later, she's like, by the way, Neo, I've got something important to tell you. And But then it kind of trails off and then they just, they just have to go out of the Matrix. Like it, it keeps doing it. And I'm like, okay, I get that you're teasing that whatever the Oracle told her is important and relevant, but it's just a little on the nose. <laughs> so I made a quibble. It's not a big deal. It's like a couple of quick lines, but it's, it's they stuck out to me. I mean, it's not really a surprise what her what her thing is, though. I mean, even when he goes to see the Oracle, she says, I see why she likes you. And it's like, oh, I wonder who that could be. Oh, but the nitpick <laughs> has nothing to do with what the, the what the, the, the information is. It's just about how they tease it. Okay. Yeah, it's all right. It's just, it's just the way they keep having her, like, find a way to not finish her sentence, I guess. <laughs> like, that... But it's, I don't want to say it's contrived. It feels too harsh to say it's contrived. It's just a little bit clunky, I guess. Uh, but yeah, go see the Oracle. There is no spoon. All that idea. Oh, you get the spoon boy. You get the spoon boy. <laughs> is that what we're I think it's just because there was a, I think his name was Yuri Geller. There was a famous like magician who used to go on TV and claim that he could bend spoons with his mind, but it was like a, it was a trick he used. Like he warmed up the metal until like the spoon just bent on its own from the heat because it became malleable but um so i think i think that that's used on purpose because he was such like a sensation across like i don't know the the u.s at least (laughs) he would like do all the rounds to talk shows and stuff and do this amazing thing like i could bend spoons with my mind so I, i think that's why they do the spoon thing Yes, well, with all of that cultural knowledge, it still worked for me, luckily. <laughs> but <laughs> it still worked. Uh, well, you're a con man, and this is like a, a little Buddha child who's like... Very, yeah, very different character. <laughs> very, very different. Actually able to do with his mind because it's the world that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a... I think it's very intentional that the Oracle's very motherly. You know, she's baking cookies, she's smiling about who you may, who you may have a crush on, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, all, all, all the rest of it. And I think that's very intentional, because it goes back into that whole support group thing I was saying here. Okay, so Morpheus and Trinity believe in him, that's a big part of him becoming who he is, and real, self-realizing. And I think having the motherly figure as well kind of ties into that sort of, like, just that tapestry of what that image mm-hmm. is. Um, as you want the good support group around you. Um... But obviously, when they get back to the base, or the other base, but they go back to this building that they, 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 they came from, Cypher's left a phone to lure in the agents. They've changed something get, in the Matrix. We get the glitch. Deja vu. Yeah, deja vu. <laughs> and what have they changed? They've bricked up all the windows with a bit of code. They went, do, 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 do. Like all bricks. <laughs> uh, Mouse goes out. Uh, guns blazing. Yeah. <laughs> Scarface style. <laughs> Scarface style. <laughs> Uh, the others, you know, they run around a bit, they, they hide in the walls, Cypher, uh, like, you know, he conveniently, like, falls, but then he's fine, like, obviously we know it's because they've let, let him go, because he's meant to go back Yeah, and... but he's the one who gave their position away because he started coughing, also, in the walls. Oh, in the wall, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Which seemed unintentional, but also, I mean, he doesn't want to get shot by the police officers, so I guess he is trying to keep quiet. But it's also it's Cipher that the one is the one that gives him away. Yes, 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously it's never addressed in the movie because he just ends up getting killed, but, I mean, do you believe that, that Smith and the, 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 the AI would give him what he wants? Like, why wouldn't they just kill him when all of this is done? Yeah, I'm not sure. I know. I guess I never really doubted it, but especially on this rewatch, uh, it really does seem like Smith, because he has, um, he's sentient and he has agency, that he's able. He he really does like get fueled by anger and rage and revenge and stuff like that. So he he may, it may be an ego thing where he's just like, I'm not going to let you do it. He um, doesn't want to be won over by, you know, a human. I haven't. <laughs> I don't know if it's about being won over. I think it's just like, why did he need to? There's the, they have absolutely no incentive or reason to actually give him what he wants. Like, if he's going to have his mind wiped anyway, they can just kill him and he'll never know. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, and, but maybe it is easy enough but, to just give him what he wants. And but I think that also ties into the idea of people who try to get rich or try to like get a rich rich quick or try to achieve the dream of having the big mansion and stuff and it falls flat in their face because no one at the top actually wants to give them the thing or hand them yeah, out the thing yeah you can't rise above yeah. the class you were born in so kind of I, I think thematically also it kind of makes sense that maybe it was never really it was just a carrot on a you know it wasn't the stick it was the carrot <laughs> that's, you know, that's basically what I'm saying um, sure. I think Smith's an interesting conversation because I think he's an interesting counterpoint to Neo because ultimately his motivation that is kind of like brought up as he's like talking to, because obviously the kidnapped Morpheus, Morpheus doesn't want Neo to die because Neo is about to get grabbed. So Morpheus jumps out the wall and gets, gets he tries to put up a fight with the agent, but even he can't fight an agent. So he gets mm-hmm. taken in. And Hugo Weaving as Smith monologues a little bit here or there about, you know, what he's doing. Because... Yeah, well, because <laughs> they want to get the uh, the Zion mainframe codes from all the ca- the captains of all the ships have these mainframe codes, and if they can destroy the the real city, it turns out his motivation is that if there's no real humans like taking people out of the matrix, then there's no reason to, for some of the AI programs to be security inside the matrix. He wants to be freed. Smith's goal is to get out of the matrix. That's what his motivation is, and I think that's yeah. very interesting. That his mm-hmm. goal is kind of similar to these humans and similar to Neo in that he thinks he's better than this. He doesn't like being in the Matrix and he wants to be out. That's a... And he's trying to, like, screw over an entirety of humanity to get what he wants, which I think, again, if you take him as being, you know, middle management, he's doing things for the boss, he's just trying to screw up everyone that's done beneath him so he can rise to the top kind of thing. You can sort of, like, you know, put it into that kind of idea a little bit. Uh, but I, I think the idea that he that his goal is to get out of the matrix, he hates it in here, is a fascinating like motivation for him. Yeah, it's almost like he's punished for some reason. Like he's he's stuck in there. Like he has to live like a human. Like he has sensory abilities. But, like he's, he smells people. And but that's what's f- funny about it is because presumably it's not a punishment because at the start no one would have cared because they're all robots. They don't have feelings. And maybe that being in here long enough is he's kind of developed mm-hmm. sentience. He's kind of developed this hatred for where he is, and he wants to be in a... So the irony of this is that our main villain is becoming a little human, and that's why mm-hmm. he's such a dick. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's cold, and he's all these things that is, is robotic and all that. But he's not a machine. Yeah. But he's not He's not totally a machine anymore. There's just enough. And it's the worst parts of humanity that are in him. It's the worst, worst parts. But they are human qualities. 
He's not like Yul Brenner or like the Terminator. He's got like, well, you know, the first Terminator. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's more like Data with the emotion chip. He's Thor. God, don't, don't, no, don't. Come on. Don't matter. It was a nice up. analogy, but let, let me have my Star Trek. <laughs> don't start. <laughs> <laughs> So they're trying to torture Morpheus, and the, 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 so the plan when they get out, right? In fact, this that goes over the whole big tension sequence, and I actually love this. I love as much as sure Switch and Apoc are kind of red shirts, and it kind of feels inevitable they're, they're there to die. I do kind of love that they're killed by Cipher just pulling their their, their you know their connections yeah. out, and they just drop dead. They, they can't defend themselves. It really paints it as super dangerous. Yeah, it's scary. This this good stuff. Um, of course, uh, Tank's able to get back up and blast them with the big lightning gun thing they have. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I do love like, that it becomes this question of like, look, free humanity as we know it will die if they get these these things out of Morpheus, if they get these codes. So the the one way to ensure survival is unfortunately to sacrifice Morpheus and pull the plug. And they don't like that they have to do this, but you know, Tank says this Trinity ultimately is agree and neil's going along with it to a point and then he realizes that this is the moment this is the moment where he has the choice so yeah. uh he's like no i'm going to go in and this is the, this is the first real moment where he believes something he believes as a purpose he doesn't believe as the one yet of course but he believes he has a purpose he believes he can accomplish change and you know he has a belief in something and you know we get the the gun racks and all the rest of it and that leads to them coming in love the gun <laughs> at least they're coming out of the, the, the lobby and shooting things up and the lobby scene holds up very well with the w- possible exception of the music i think the music is feels a little like okay <laughs> oh, it's, it's fine it's the it's 90s fun. <laughs> uh, it is but you know but you know the, the, you know all, all, all the jumping and cartwheeling while shooting the guns and the debris awesome. flying everywhere yeah, the set pieces they uh, they don't they don't last <laughs> in the <laughs> movies. They get destroyed. That one bathroom inside that that last house we were in. Whew. Oh yeah, because tiles <laughs> flying everywhere. Tiles flying. <laughs> I, I, lo- I always love in a movie when like, the corner of a sink breaks off when like someone lands yeah. on it. I, I always enjoy that. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a visceral kind of crunch to it. I love. Yeah, that porcelain. That's tough. <laughs> uh, I think this is again. This is one of the things that I think the first movie excels at is that even though it's a relatively big budget, and I get to say it again, I mean relatively, is that it's still not super huge budget. That they're forced to use a lot of practical effects. They're still they're forced to be inventive with how they choose to shoot things. And I do think the carte blanche they got in the sequels to do whatever the hell they wanted ruined mm-hmm. the inventiveness of the action sequences because the action scenes in this hold up so well. They are so tight. And they're mm-hmm. very high conceptually, but they they're 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 very well thought out, and they still hold up. Whereas, again, if you look at that second movie and you watch that scene where he's fighting all the Smiths and they're all PS two looking characters, that that scene is just bad. It's just a bad, boring scene. And yeah, well, we'll talk about more when we get to the, yeah. the sequel because you know I, I do think it's odd that I mean, obviously they had a really great villain in Agent Smith, like a really great villain. So, I mean, even though he seemingly gets defeated here, he comes back and then, you know, like, how do, how do you top, you know, 
a candle in the wind. 5,000 candles in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just make 5,000 Agent Smith since we can't make a better villain. I, I, I think that's problem number one with the I always think Smith should have came back. And I love Hugo Weaver in this, but I think he was defeated. And I think him coming back... And maybe I'll feel differently when I watch it again, but I think him coming back kind of ruins the end of Neo's story in this movie a little bit. It's kind of confusing also. Like, so it, it, did he not defeat him then? Like, it, did he not die? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it muddies up the ending of this one, which is... So it's one thing when a sequel's not very good. It's another thing when it retcons something that was good about the first one. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, what are you doing? Stop yeah. ruining parts of it. Uh, I don't know. But, but again, I don't really remember so much yeah. all the details I, of the Matrix. I, I, so. The Matrix reloaded. And I think that's one of those things where is is why in my head it feels more like fan fiction because I don't really take it as canon. Because I like, no, no, you ruined part of the first film, so therefore I'm going to ignore you as part of is canon, and this is the end of the story, and then everything that comes after is like a extra thing. <laughs> it's like a tie-in novel that's not really obviously official, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it really happens, you know? Uh and that's just a feeling that you either strike or you don't, depending on what your your movie sequels do. Um, typically it tends to happen more when the sequels come much later. It's kind of notable that this, you know, didn't, it was, you know, it was four years, but that was normal enough for making two movies. Uh, sure. So, I don't know. It's a bit weird. But anyway. Something's, something's definitely lost when you, like, take out the practical effects, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously this has a nice mixture of both, but so much of it is practical. And, like, the fight scenes and the stunt work and the choreography, like, it's so strong. Like this is there's a reason why action movies changed forever after the Matrix came out. Yeah, and some and and in a way for bad. There's always that problem where there's a lot of bad copies that are trying to achieve it, and you know you have that weird period. And this was especially bad with the Matrix because for years there was the bullet time like knockoff stuff. Not just that, like the look of the Matrix. Like it is a really cool looking movie. Like it, mm. it kind of dated in in like the trench coats and stuff. But man, they looked really awesome. So and then like we get all the stuff after afterwards, like Underworld World and uh, <laughs> like, lots of movies that are trying to to take the coolness of the Matrix and copy it. And it it kind of makes the movie feel a bit dated when it shouldn't because it just it started that you know it was. Uh, it's it's just because it followed up with all these bad copies that this movie can kind of be affected, especially if you're I, watching it for the first time now. Yeah, I don't think that affects me with this one in particular, the, the outfits and stuff. I, I think enough time has passed that I just, like, I take The Matrix as its own unique thing, and I don't think yeah. about what it influenced with that stuff. And to to an, if, an extent, the action as well. Or the action sticks out, maybe just because the effects are a little dated, so that those fancier camera moments were... Because they had to fill in in between the frames with you know other stuff to like mm-hmm. make it up the, the the 360 degrees and all that but uh so yeah so you have you have this you know moment uh wait actually that's a good time to probably mention this is i, I watched the blu-ray of this and every so often it's been a while since i watched the blu-ray at least on the the main big tv with the surround sound and stuff you know uh and every so often I, i'll trick myself into thinking yeah i can just get used to just streaming stuff or you know you know buying stuff digitally and just not bothering but holy shit, the Blu-ray looks so much better than a than a stream of it. like even a 4K stream. And it's sound like the sound on the Blu-ray, like the sound mix in this movie is wonderful. The music especially mm-hmm. was like the, the way the brass was coming in over my shoulder at certain yeah. moments. It, I I felt it felt visceral the way it was like attacking my senses. Uh, it, it's it's one of the best sound mixes that I've heard on a disc. Actually, it's, the 
that my first experience with the matrix like anything to do with the matrix is that my my mother and i were at the movies and for some reason the movie like didn't start the well the trailers didn't start mm. it was like a couple of minutes went after it should have and but it seemed like something was was wrong and then the we saw the the trailer for the matrix showed up but there was no sound in it and then all of a sudden like the sound kicked in and it was overcompensated or something because it was <laughs> Like everybody in the theater, like just went ah, like we all jumped out of our seats. And basically, the movie kind of had a little bit of a stank on it because of that memory. <laughs> it was so such an awful experience to just be put in the middle of a Matrix trailer <laughs> with the sound just blasting in your ears. But uh, it, it turned out I was wrong. Like everything mm. was fine. <laughs> yeah. That was my that's my very first experience, Matrix experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, because even the idea that they're willing to go save Morpheus is, uh, is this, like, no one has chosen to go to where the agents are before. The fact that he's even daring to, like, take them on this directly is a big deal. Uh, I, I sort of chuckled to myself because he got in the elevator shaft and I went, okay, and he was in an elevator shaft. This, this, <laughs> this usually ends badly. <laughs> <laughs> pop, pop quiz hot shot. Pop, pop, pop quiz Mr. Anderson. <laughs> that would be great oh that would have been great if he he, he walked out he's like pop quiz Mr. Anderson love it Uh, because there's even a moment with the agents where like I think they're trying to save him and because they're like shocked almost they they almost show emotion there's three of them there guarding Morpheus like, this is There's no insane. place he can run from. You know, he's in a place guarded by three agents. Which is another you have point. To directly go to them. Which is another moment I just thought of. They're just done back on the subject of Smith being different from the others. Is that there's a moment where he asked them to leave the room, and they both look at each other like, "Wait, he's acting weird. Like, we don't do that. We don't ask each other to leave rooms for yeah. private conversations. What is this? Something in Smith is definitely broken. Yeah. Uh, well, as I think, well, broken to them maybe, but I think as in a weird way, as evolution, I think he is becoming more human ultimately. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we have the scene that the the roof, which is where he does the whole bullet dodging shenanigans, uh, very fun. The dodge this, all that, uh, very good. And she's like, "Hey, how did you do that? You move like they do," which I think is funny because from our perspective, it we've not seen them. We've seen them dodge bullets. We saw the agent right at the start, kind of like whoosh around a little bit, but we didn't see it in slow motion like this. So it didn't look the same to us. It wasn't until Trinity said, you move like they do, where I went, oh yeah, I guess that is how that looks, but and yeah. slow enough to see it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it almost made me want them to like replay it just so I could see it in like real time. <laughs> Let me see him whooshing a little bit. <laughs> uh, but, but again, maybe... I'm not sure, yeah. But I, I, I'm... I'm I think that's maybe an intentional thing is the idea that when he's doing it, we can comprehend it because he's, he's, he, you know, he's comprehending it. So it's not, that's just wishing a thing. Uh, but you know, the hell, I think the helicopter, I, I, one of the effects I love in this is the way they always have the glass ripple before it smashes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do yeah. like that. Yeah. That's really beautiful. A little touch. It's, a little it's touch. probably accurate. Like just everything, like even though it's a, a solid piece of mass, like the, it still would bend and ripple like that before it breaks. It's cool. Uh, I'd love to see the the receipts. So I'd love to see some real slow motion of like a giant <laughs> glass, you know, panel. Yeah, it like liquefies for yeah. a second. Cool. <laughs> but 
no, I there's like because I have my favorite moment of all this, right? Uh, well, there's a lot of good things here. You know, there's Morpheus running through the you know the the sprinklers are going off. Because uh, there's a moment where Neo's got on the minigun and he's like, Morpheus, get up. And like, Morpheus just snaps the handcuffs. He's just like, yeah, F this. <sighs> and I, I, well, I think that's beautiful because the idea that Neo's now there for him too. It's like a two-way relationship. Yeah. You know, it's not just this one-sided thing anymore. But Plus he's drugged. Like, he, has to, he has to do it whilst it mm. basically sedated. And he still is able to break through, you know, the, the that part of the Matrix. And I think the smart thing the script does here and I think that's a super smart, is that, sure, we can get into the idea of the Chosen One and that he's going to save the world, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, that's a very, you know, fantastical concept. It's not something we can necessarily cling to for emotional attachment. But what we do attach ourselves to as the audience is that, you know, we've been following Neo, and his guide through this world, the guide who believes in him and cares about him, is Morpheus. And we've seen him essentially take him in. And hell, even Tank called Morpheus a father. Before he was almost going to kill him, he said, you're not just a boss to us, you're not just a captain, you're a father. And mm-hmm. so by turning like the emotional crux of the film into Neo trying to save Morpheus, it doesn't, I mean, sure, the, the one stuff and saving the world and being the savior of the human race, that is still important, don't get me wrong. But that's not what we care about in the moment. What we are rooting for in this scene is no, we care about Morpheus because he was good to our main character and he <laughs> deserves saving. And we want Neil to pull this off. And yeah. because we of don't that need him connection. Be the one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We just need him to, to be good, to, to do the right thing and to save someone. So we don't need him to be the, the savior. Because, you know, we, we, we've not seen Zion. I mean, we, sure, this is something that I've said before. Me and Connor have talked about this a lot is that you when you say you have to save the world, that's all good and well, but. That's just a mass of like faceless people. Uh, it's individuals that you care about. It's individuals that you attach to, and more faces who we're attached to here. So that's really cool. Obviously, we're going to see Zion in the sequel and stuff, and that's cool. But uh, here, it just focuses in and says, "This is about saving him," and we can attach to that as an audience. Uh, but the the bit I really love though is after so Morpheus gets dropped off uh, after because obviously there's the shot of them both jumping. Great, yeah. But I'm assuming everyone's seen it. I don't have to necessarily mention every moment. But the, the bit I do love is after the helicopter's a bit damaged, Morpheus has been dropped off on a roof. Uh, and the pacing of the edits here is wonderful. I, I don't know if this one will kind of award for editing, but the way it cuts yeah. to Morpheus rolling th- on the roof and then looking down uh, and then the slow motion of Neo making this choice. This is the moment I love where he just says, I'm going to wrap my hand around this rope and like maybe hold on to the helicopter. Now, obviously, <laughs> Trinity grabs the thing and just, you know, shoots it, so it's just hard that he's grabbing onto. But yeah. there's a moment where he's like, I'm going Maybe to try I and... Could. Maybe I can hold up this helicopter. Cause, and you can see it in his head, what he's thinking. He's thinking, right. there is no helicopter. That's what he's thinking. Like, mm-hmm. that, that's, the, that's what we've been set up in the movie to believe at this point, is that there is no helicopter. You can manipulate the code. So, yeah. do it. <laughs> Save her. <laughs> and he does. And, you know, that that's when... Because this is the thing, Neo, for the last like 30 minutes of the movie, he's been struggling with what, what the Oracle told her. And as soon as like Mor- Morpheus sees this and he gets up and he walks towards and he's like, Trinity, do you believe? And she's like, yeah, kind of, I'm a little bit wet in my pants here. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and Neo turns to Morpheus. She's and he, like, yeah. yeah. And he's got this look of concern in his face. He's like, Morpheus, the Oracle. And he just cuts him off with a smell on his face and says, she told you what you needed to hear nothing more <laughs> like that's it that's all this well you just proved who He's you are duped. yeah <laughs> uh 
So, but obviously they want to escape. They get an exit in the, the subway and uh, they're almost out, but there's a homeless dude that turns into uh, Smith. Because Smith, this is a pair, because the other agents are like, oh, we've got the Sentinels. The Sentinels are going after them. And that's the other smart thing the movie does, is that it sets up, they have a way to fight the Sentinels. They just set off an EMP. It's good. But the caveat is they can't use it when someone's hooked out of the Matrix or it'll kill the person that's in the Matrix. Uh, So So they can't just be disconnected. They have to leave the Matrix. Yeah, they have to like go through the the process. Otherwise, they're just being, uh, otherwise they're essentially just being severed from their body and therefore Mm -hmm. dead. Uh, so so we have, have the mind so we have on the ship we have the action and the sort of the, the ticking time bomb element of them trying to hold off and hide from the, the sentinels whilst neos uh but that happens a little bit later into it though because i do like that there's a bit of a reaction from them where you know because you know neo's about to run and he turns around and it's, it's almost really cheesy and on the those but i kind of love it where trinity's like what's he doing and morpheus just leans in and goes He's beginning to believe. <laughs> it's yeah. just like he's like, yeah. And that's the so, thing. Some of those Morpheus lines, I'm like, okay, Morpheus. Jo- jo- <laughs> I get it. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, is that at this point in the movie, you you're so rooting for him to believe that it doesn't matter. Honestly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, is, ahead, yeah. it doesn't matter how <laughs> unknows that line of dialogue is. You just kind of want to fist pump because you're along yeah. for the ride at this point. Honestly, like this this viewing, I got a little bit emotional with his journey at the end. Like I don't know what it was, but then, like I was just so into it and so like invested in him and like yeah. oh my god, he actually believes now and that <laughs> got me a little bit. Well, I, I think that, that, the beauty of it is everything we've kept saying. Ultimately, this is the story of someone learning to believe in themselves, and that is emotional. Yeah. Like forget forget yeah. the saving the world, forget the the science fiction all of all of it. All it it's is. Like that's his reward for actually believing yeah. in himself. Yeah. Th- this is doing, just a... doing the little thing that he's been rewarded with the big thing. This is just about believing in yourself. And once you believe in yourself, anything is possible. And it's a movie, so it's literal. <laughs> he starts just yeah, doing things. Exactly. <laughs> right? Uh, that's, that's the beauty of filmmaking. But yeah, we get this fight that. And the fight mostly holds up. I think I said this last time. Obviously, them jumping with the gun, spinning around. I think all the punches and kicks look great in the subway. The only mm-hmm. part of it that maybe is a little bit weak is the headbutts. I think the headbutts look kind of fake because obviously they don't actually headbutt each other. Uh, the, it's like they've perfected... that's very painful and dumb. The, well, it is, yes. <laughs> but they've perfected how to fake the punches and the kicks to look good. The headbutts here, uh, they look a bit soft. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's all right. <laughs> it stuck out to me, all right? It stuck out to me. I like that me. Morpheus at least has a bruise on his head and sure. Agent Smith doesn't, of course, because... <laughs> he's a computer program i mean neil no i mean agent smith because morpheus headbutts agent smith when they're fighting and when he's chained up oh earlier he's, up, oh, he's got a bruise on his head i thought you met in the subway scene which is why i said you mean neil no i'm talking about earlier because right. there's there's headbutting twice there's, there, there's multiple <laughs> headbutting there's multiple headbutt incidents in the matrix we can concur right. on this <laughs> it's a headbutt saga okay so there's a lot of headbutt uh yeah and you know neo like essentially you know he gets a bit bloody they think he's losing but he gets back up and he does the, the whole you know just bring it pose mm-hmm. <laughs> with his hand uh i don't know if that had the name then but the rock kind of gave it a name later so <laughs> just bring it uh and he you know he thinks he beats him because he puts him in front of the subway um I do. Obviously, there's the subtle touch of like when he breaks Anderson's like sunglasses, and it's like, oh wait, he got a hit in. Like, the, like he actually makes stand a chance. Uh, 
But then, of course, once he gets hit with the subway, he just, like, comes back out. And this was kind of teased, actually, earlier on, when Trinity shot the other agent in the head at point blank. It didn't really kill the agent, it just it just killed the body he was occupying. So he just mm-hmm. appeared elsewhere, and it was fine. So Agent Smith just steps off the subway train, because he could just shift, he just j- jumped to that. And at that point, he was like, oh, shit, okay, well, maybe I can't actually win yet. <laughs> I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna run. So it becomes this run for uh, the telephone line whilst they're fighting Sentinels. Um, and it's a fun chase, you know, and it has, it has that moment where the guy's yelling about the cell phone being stolen, but then it turns out it's Smith. So it's this idea that anyone can turn into Smith at any point. Uh, and unfortunately, he does get shot, uh, but Trinity breaks out the rules uh, here a little bit and says, well, the Oracle told me that the the man I love would be the one. So you can't be dead because I love you, and that means you're the one. So get up, basically. <laughs> uh, I do like the moment. I mean, it's it's he. Yeah, so he dies in the Matrix, so he should be dead in real life. But because he has gone through this death and rebirth again, then he is now like maybe like a Jesus figure, but also like he's 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 the he's the one now. Now he's I, like unstoppable because he's already been through death. I do admit, I I could do without. The, the jesus like it's not it's not much of it but there's a little bit there with the analogy yeah, yeah but there's it's mostly in the third movie if i'm remembering sure oh sure I, really I, I doubles down on that in the context of this one i i, I could just steer away with from that if i'm honest i i think you know to, to me i i kind of take this moment of almost like an extension of the spoon where he says, why am I down? These bullets mean nothing. This body means nothing. Like, I am in control of my mind. Therefore, it doesn't matter how much this body gets hurt, essentially. So, and it's kind of, you know... But again, really, I care more about the theme of this than I do the logics of it. I care about the fact that, no, someone, a loved one is rooting for him so hard that and is, like, supporting him that he is yeah. able to get back up, uh, that, even after he's he needed, knocked down. Right? He just He needed one more, one more pillar, which was love. Yeah. Uh, it's just the fifth element again, right? You get you Morpheus is one pillar, <laughs> Trinity's another one. <laughs> Morpheus definitely loves Neo. Oh, he definitely does. Yes. <laughs> uh, and he gets up, and there is something so satisfying about Smith trying to fight him, and then Neo just kind of looks bored, and then just kind of like yeah, shifts just, to like, one hand. Aside, and yeah. Like I can block whatever you got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he just jumps inside him and makes him. And, and obviously, my favorite shot of this whole thing is probably when you see his POV, and he literally just sees the code now. He just sees yeah. the green code going up and down of the walls and stuff. Um, is stuff. And the other agency will get scared and run. Um, whenever you mentioned it, just I reminded of it because I was thinking about Trinity kissing him in the chair when he's like, you know, t- technically maybe dead. And I was thinking, oh yeah, we forgot to mention that Cipher got kind of pervy with uh, Trinity when he was on the phone with her, and he was killing the other ones. He was kind of like. Like, oh, I've been into you. The, you know, he's like, a very attractive woman, Trinity, and he's been all pervy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Does it surprise you that someone who fantasizes being a rich white dude <laughs> is, is also a bit of a creep? Is, is that something that is shocking? Probably not. <laughs> not really. <laughs> he, he's essentially, he wants the life of, uh, I'm not, it's just a dark joke. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but <laughs> people can think of names. He wants to leave. I got of, mine in my head, yeah. Yeah. Of certain people. <laughs> it's not too difficult to think of fun. No. Uh, sadly, yes. Um, but yeah. And, you know, he gets, he picks up the phone and they set off the EMP and the, 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 the sentinels go down and uh, 
you know, we didn't talk about too much about the design of this world on beyond just it being a bit sort of Borg meets Geiger meets whatever. But uh, I do like the visuals and the contrast too much outside of the Nebuchadnezzar. No, that's one of the weird things is that when you get to the second movie and there's like all these different ships going to Zion, it's like, oh yeah, there's like they they say there's more ships in this movie, but we never see any more ships. We, you know, it feels very isolated. It feels like this is just their one yeah. thing. I do love that the design of the Nebuchadnezzar though is old, old future old future tech you know like everything oh, yeah. is broken and there's wires everywhere it's very cyber rusted their clothing is like falling apart from like 50 years ago the, 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 the chairs are like breaking there's like you know bits of yeah yeah it's very cyberpunk it's very makeshift and everything's thrown together and it's such a contrast because when they're in the matrix they they have everything is pristine like clean when when morpheus's crew is in the matrix you know everything is new and shiny and pristine and glossy and then but it, in the reality everything is just sort of but, whatever yeah. scraps you even, know whatever they can find even away from the characters though like the rest of the world in the matrix is very clean like the rooms are almost too clean and empty They're almost as if a computer designed them in fact that's yeah. why the things we even talk about is uh from a mythology standpoint uh, Smith talks about how this is the second version of the Matrix. The first version failed because yeah. they tried to make it this perfect thing where everyone was happy. They Utopia. almost they tried to make something nice for everyone where everyone would be just completely happy, but human brains just wouldn't accept it. Too many people tried to rebel against it because they just knew it was fake. Um, and I I, I kind of took that speech just in terms of a message. I was like, I think that's maybe more implying that we kind of have to earn it or we'll yeah, reject we, we it. know when something isn't yeah, yeah. isn't real they, they have to give us the shitty imperfect like late 90s for it to seem real enough to buy it <laughs> <laughs> the height of human civilization <laughs> yes y2k <laughs> uh, Nap- napster's booming uh <laughs> this is a very napster era isn't it yeah, yeah. C- cd roms are all the, the rage <laughs> um what else has got in the late 90s uh i don't know uh, yeah. Backstreet Boys, are they doing things? Chumpa Backstreet- Wumba. <laughs> Chumpa Wumba. <laughs> get knocked down. But I get up that again. Might be, that may be early 2000s. I'm not very good with music. I think that was nice. That seems old enough to be 90s to me. But I mean, yeah, I'm also not very good with, uh, with It's that. just such a funny name that I it sticks with me. Yes. Chumpa Wumba. Chumpa Wumba. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I, I was speaking of uh, creepy, uh, you know, pervy people in real life. Um, I did cringe when uh, after the Rage Against the Machine song on the credits, it switches to Marlon Manson song, and I was like, "Oh uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, just a recent development too." Well, it was kind of rumored for a long time, but yeah, this it's properly. Well, it's always been yeah a little bit odd. Like he didn't he date like Evan Rachel Wood when she was like eighteen, maybe. Well, maybe that's, what, that's what a lot it of seems this... like very much like a grooming thing that he's into. Yeah, but she actually opened up. I mean, she's she's been talking about the abuse she suffered for years, but she finally sort of named him like officially recently Rel- and i say recently relatively recently uh yeah um, it's a shame i really like uh i always thought Marilyn manson was a pretty stand-up dude but I was it sounds like the character he portrayed was a lot more like the real him than anyone would have liked i mean he he had a room that he called a rape room in his house so mm. yeah so i, I kind of credit because i haven't really heard any of his stuff because no one's really playing it for obvious reasons so when i heard the song kick in the crowd I was like oh <laughs> <That's> <laughs> shit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, the Rage Against the Machine song is perfect, though. If you listen to those lyrics, and you know, you know, I mean, even the 
even the name of the band. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, <laughs> very good point. But yeah, that's the beautiful thing is that that because you know, after you know he wakes up, he kisses Trinity, and it just the final scene of the movie. There's not much of an explanation of what's going on. And this is why it feels like such a perfect ending because it feels like yeah, this can be ambiguous as to what he actually does next. I think. You know, having a sequel where we find out that a lot of the other people in Zion don't really believe in this one nonsense. That's Morpheus is the zealot. Everyone else is a bit doubtful and stuff. It dilutes the the message a little bit. Even though I I understand that you can tell other messages, you can tell other stories with other analogies going down that path. It does dilute the first movie on its own a little bit. Uh, but you know, it's Neo on the phone talking to the agents because because they're doing this because the movie started with them tracing a call, which is how they found Trinity. So the movie ends, the book ends it with them trying to do the same thing to Neo, but the code stops. Neo can control it, so he just says, no, you're not finding me, basically. But mm. he's saying, look, you don't want these people to know what they can be. I'm going to show them a world without borders or boundaries. I'm going to set them free. And that scares you, but this is the way it's going to be, kind of thing. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, because I can't remember the exact, you know, word for word, but that's the sentiment. Um... And what you do with that is up to you. And that's the funny thing about it, is I think even that line at the end isn't him saying, we're going to kill all the machines and kill your race. He's saying, no, we're going to have freedom, but theoretically, the implication is, like, you can choose to do this peacefully and coexist with us. We don't, we're not out for blood to kill you, or I'm not out for blood to kill you anyway. That, that, Where are you going to get their energy from, though? Their, their battery source. You said it earlier, you're some animals. Grow some horses horses will have plenty of energy they're like a C battery <laughs> obviously humans are double A is that because we have better brains we, we, there's more like electrolytes going on is that what you're saying, is that what you're saying? yeah <laughs> um, but I, I do think that's interesting because again going with the, the metaphors of the movie it's not about just like defeating it's like no, you can still exist in some fashion. Like, we're not trying to necessarily remove you from the equation. We just want our freedom to exist also. Which ties into not only just the, the general cyberpunky themes that we've been talking about, about, you know, self-realization, but also the trans stuff. Like, you know, we're not trying to replace you. We're just trying to exist you know, as free. You want to exist. We don't want our existence to be questioned or controlled. I don't I don't think Neo or anyone is even considering, like, going up against the actual machines no. outside of the Matrix because how can they, like, those things are enormous and everywhere and the the whole outer crust of the world now is just dominated by machines like presumably even if they freed all the humans it wouldn't be enough although maybe that gets answered in the third movie i can't remember i think no some of the stuff we're talking about is kind of addressed thematically in the third movie but i think it's better here where it's just kind of hinted at and it's kind of open and we can think about it and talk about it um and you know, it's almost ruined in a way by overdoing it and actually having all the things happen on screen uh, mm-hmm. without it being without it adding anything extra. It just makes it a bit too watered down, I guess. But mm-hmm. again, I'm saying that from memory. We'll see how they are when we watch them again. But uh, but there's a lot in that ending. Uh, and the journey's complete. He self-realized and he can do amazing things because he believes in himself, uh, which literally ends with him flying up to the camera like he's goddamn Superman. Yep. He can fly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, you know, again, the idea that he feels like he can fly because he feels free, and that's that's it. The fact that he's literally flying is uh, not even that important in a weird way. It's just, that's what's happening. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, the the movie's so thick with these themes. Like almost every scene, I was noticing just how they were saying it in the dialogue, how it was like tying into the overall theme. It it really is a tight film, and that no no scene almost is wasted in furthering mm-hmm. the central ideas of what it's saying, and. That's you know that's when I get frustrated at board movies that are boring because there's so many scenes in certain movies where this is just plot set up, but it's not actually achieving anything other than just saying, you know, thing A needs to be put into thing B to stop mm-hmm. thing C, and that's it. Uh, there's so yeah. much more going on here. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you remember when the Matrix like came out. We're kind of similar in age, but I'm a little bit older, so like, but when I when when it came out, it was like life changing for people. Like everybody was talking about, you know are we in the matrix? Like, could, I mean, just how can you prove that you're not in the matrix kind of a deal? And which is, you know, philosophy that goes back a lot. I'm not a philosophy student. I don't study it, but obviously I've heard of like the cave, Plato's the cave and stuff like that, especially after this movie. Cause a lot of people talked about it. Um, you know, if, or like the, 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 the story of like the, the fish, who like come across a fish and are like, hey, how's the water? And then the fish swims away. And like, what the hell is water? Like, they don't know that they're in it, kind of a deal. But <laughs> you know, anyway. I, I'm not against philosophy, but sometimes it sounds really stupid when you you point out how <laughs> you you point out some of it. Well, I'm not very good at describing yeah. it, obviously. <laughs> you know about the 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 Cato, or Cato, Plato's cave and stuff like that, where like if people are, are strapped in a cave and they've never left and all they see are like shadow puppets on the cave wall, then that's their only reality. And somebody escapes and goes outside and says, Hey, there's more, there's more out here. Like there's a whole world out here. And they're like, what are you talking about? The only thing that exists is the cave painting or the cave shadow puppets. And yeah. Stuff it's like it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you say a two dimensional being, there's a third dimension, they can't comprehend what a third dimension is the same way that you say it. Yeah, there's a fourth dimension. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> Okay, and oh, admittedly, as a sci-fi nerd, I'm like, well, the fourth dimension is time, obviously, but <laughs> that's that's, the, that's an old question. Uh, it's an old debate, which I am sure. not qualified to have, for the record. Well, <laughs> we're moving through the fourth dimension at the same rate as everybody else. Yeah, and once we have time Unless travel, and then once we have time travel, though, it's a proper variable, just like mm-hmm. the other three dimensions. I don't want that. I don't want time travel. It seems messy. It's messy. Yes. Uh, it turned out to be your own great, great, great grandparent. <laughs> sure, yeah. I don't know why you assume that if I have time travel, I'll immediately go back and start sleeping around, but... <laughs> That's not what I implied. I implied I implied that you may have a child one day that they will go back in time. It doesn't have to be you that's sleeping around. Okay. Anyone, anyone in the chain could be the one sleeping around. That's just the reflect on you that was not the intention of that joke okay the matrix is pretty great and it's, it's very <laughs> fulfilling it's a very uplifting film ultimately bizarrely despite the fact that it obviously starts off in a dark place with a character trapped in this world but it never actually you know it, it, it never lets itself get too depressing it's a film about being hopeful it's a film about being able to change and be able to become what you want to be and what you, what you believe in yourself to be it's actually and that's why you got kind of you said you got emotional with some of the story beats with neil towards the end because you're so invested okay. and i think it's one of these things where when a film is this good and it, it you know it, it warrants the repeat viewings it works multiple times where you're, you're not just getting bored because it's just a simple plot 
uh, and all the things oh you know all the cylinders are working the, the acting the music the direction everything when all that's working and you have those themes i think you it does become more emotionally attaching over the years i think when i watched terminator 2 i never i never got that emotional in a terminator 2 when i was younger but the more i see it the more i understand what the film's saying the more i think about it the more i get a little bit emotional at the end of terminator 2 and i think the matrix is the same thing where there are moments where uh, and I always say that I tear up more at happy moments than I am that I do at sad moments. And I think it is moments where when someone believes in themselves, like you're describing, where I I might tear up because, oh, they, they've got me so by the hook here and everything has been built upon upon everything else. It's, it's a house of cards that is... And this, this is why so many films are bad because it's hard to have a house of cards stay up. But when it does stay up and you get to that peak, that peak is rewarding. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie is uh basically flawless. Um I I really I, I think you know it was really fun to revisit it after a long time and it is just it not only holds up but I think it does get better. And um you know when I first watched it it was a really cool action movie with cool looking people in it and now when I watch it I I see so much more and and you know, even though I've watched it many, many times, I have this whole new lens of watching it with the Wachowski sisters now, and how how that changes everything. And I got even more out of it this time. Yeah, and you know, and and they're coming out and they're talking about that part of their lives happened, you know, relatively much, much later than the Matrix coming out. So it's very interesting to see all these themes and all these messages and all these things that they were thinking about in that film already right. you know it shows how much a part of their life and presumably had been for a long time before this it was so it's, it's very interesting to sort of uh think about it in those terms mm-hmm. but hey the matrix is good were you surprised for for shocking revelation of that i probably not um so here we are tara would you like to rate the matrix <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll be the first one to say that it's a 10 out of 10. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a perfect science fiction movie, action movie. I, I mean, I, I really do think, like you said, it's lightning in a bottle and it, it everything works. Everything in this movie works. Uh, I really love it. Uh, I'm going with an 8.5. Ah, why? Because of the Morpheus line that you don't like? No, not because of the Morpheus line, <laughs> but because... Like I can't just hand out tens willy nilly. Like every every time you're super enthusiastic, yeah, any ha- movie deserves it. Like. Yeah, you hand out a ten, <laughs> right? There, there there is a class of movie that is excellent that isn't quite a ten for whatever reason, and this is just this sitting on that that periphery, right? That's exactly where it is. Don't look at me like I'm being a dick because I gave it an eight point five. An eight point five is such a good score. Do you know how many few movies? So in fact, someone did the math. I I think it was Tyler did the math on like. You don't My- think it's like a half a point higher than Truman Show? Oh, I love Truman Show, though. Yeah, but do you love it as much as The Matrix? I do love them both a lot. I don't know. Why do you assume that I can't love Truman Show and Matrix? I mean, clearly, you have an opinion. Clearly, you think The Matrix is better than Truman Show, but... I I mean, honestly, The Matrix is like an 11 out of 10. Like, it is great. <laughs> <laughs> It was high up on my science fiction movie list too. Like, it was up there with the rest of the tens. Sure. I mean, sure, Matrix is 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 fantastic. Like, 
that, that the problem we're having here, this communication kerfuffle we're having here, is is not that you you're thinking I don't love this enough, I don't give it a ten, but it's just that my numbers are a higher standard. I've got a higher standard to get to a ten. I don't understand how the Matrix does not reach this. <laughs> like your rating is controversial. <laughs> my nine point five out of ten is controversial. After our conversation, like, how could it not be a 10? <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll say this, it's improved. Like, I, I think when I saw it when I was younger, I didn't really rate movies when I was, like, I was 10 when this came out. I didn't rate movies then. Uh, but it would have probably been, like, an 8 or 8.5. For a long time, I'd have said a 9. Um, I think this time watching it and the last time I watched it, when I talked about it a couple of years ago, these two viewings are by far my favourite two viewings I've ever had of this movie. So it has gotten better with age. It's inching closer. Maybe one day I'll give it that 10. But right now, I- I'm not quite giving it the 10. Alright. Controversial. <laughs> Com- coming from the crazy woman who gave Rocket Man, not the Elton John Rocket Man, might add, the, the Rocket Man <laughs> about going to Mars with the dude whose name I can never remember. Uh, Harley Williams. <laughs> there you go, Harley Williams. You give that like an 8, so don't even start. Rockman's fantastic movie. <laughs> yes, um, I, I'm I'm pulling out an old tactic here. I'm 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 ruining your credibility by giving up a really controversial rating you gave. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not disappointed with that rating. Like eight seems appropriate. Just don't remember <laughs> what I rated it. I, I don't really remember, but I remember it being too high. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ballparking a little bit. <laughs> Someone, someone's going to go check. That was a blast. Someone's going to go check. <laughs> So I was going to check, go by the way, Peter, you were wrong, it was a nine. I'll be like, what? <laughs> She's even more crazy than I thought. Even more crazy than I thought. <laughs> All right, is anyone surprised this was a, a two hour plus uh, episode? <laughs> Probably not. This this was always going to be a long one. Uh, I I think almost a more interesting conversation. Because I think it was a good conversation. I think there was a lot to talk about with this movie because it's, it's saying so much. And it's yeah. doing so much to say those things. I, I am very fascinated by what the conversation for the next two are going to be. Uh, and we'll get there before too long. So uh, probably maybe in about a month for Reloaded. I'm just roughly guessing. I haven't looked at the schedule, but, um, you know, so. Four years. Well, no, we have to <laughs> do them before four. Come on. <laughs> There's a reason why we're doing them. Come on. Are we doing Animatrix also? I don't think we have to. No? Okay. It's a series of shorts. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, don't I, know. I know they packaged <laughs> it as a like a release, but it's just, you know. It's it's better than the other two sequels. Okay. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I don't think I don't think I need to. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> So yes. Uh all right, I've made it this far into the episode. Uh, put the phrase "déjà vu" into the comments to let us know that you got to the end. Uh, Tara's going to pose for the thumbnail, so here we go. No sunglasses at the ready. Or, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in a hotel room. <laughs> Bring anything with me. Three, You're lucky about podcasting stuff. Three, two, one, pause. Oh, am I in frame?
Do I do that again when you're the front hand up a bit? There you go. But I even go up a bit higher. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That take two. But I think that take two will be right on the money. Oh dear. I was going to tell the people what's coming up uh, next time because I, 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 I don't know. Uh, vote winner. What won the last vote? I don't remember. Strange Days? I think it was Strange Days. Cool. I think it was Strange Days. I don't 90s movie. We didn't lots of 90s stuff. Uh, nice. Just now, apparently. Uh, the year of our, our childhoods. But the year, the decades of our childhoods, the year. <laughs> it's a short childhood. <laughs> Reborn in 99? <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Very good. <laughs> While I look for some funny YouTube comments in the trailer, how about you tell everyone about Patreon? Yeah, so if you enjoy the review, please check out the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as those $1 per month, you'll actually get bonus episodes for the ace. So if you're looking for your favorite B-movie science fiction, uh, like some starring David Carradine, I think Future Force is on there. That one has a, a robot glove. Um a power glove that one's pretty fun uh and if you donate five dollars per month you will get access to these reviews one day early plus some other shows get a week early so it's worth it since there is no or let's be honest since there's no easy way to look for the good youtube reviews or the youtube comments i should say we're reverting to the imdb reviews because the one out of tens on this should be amusing so let's do it let's go to the one star reviews on imdb.com for the Matrix is 142. Ooh. 142. I mean, that's thousands, obviously, but the title of the first one is Unfathomably Overrated. Whoa. <laughs> it's all effects. The third review here says, good, but, dot, dot, dot. But hold on. If it's good, but, it has to be better than a one. If you're saying it's good, but there's some caveats, that still has to score it like a six. Maybe sure. something like, yeah, really offends them. Yeah. That's, I mean, this is a, this is from 1999. This is the good thing about IMDb. It's been around since the movie came out, <laughs> bizarrely. That's right. Yeah. Good, but... I'm, 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 let's read a little bit of this one. I say with the negative crowd on this one, with the risk of sounding pompous... Oh, I, I don't think. Uh, giant Fish. Uh, that's the name. Uh, I, I don't think you'll sound pompous here. I've, I've got complete faith in your, uh, your writing ability. I have to say this. To believe that this is a brilliant film suggests a low level of education and an underdeveloped personal philosophy. Not pompous. He's still not pompous. I think, I think he's right in the, the line. This is a man mm. of integrity. That's Mr. Mr. Fish. There, Student I've, of philosophy. <laughs> there, I've said it. The question of realness, of reality, is a 400-year-old Sertizian uh, idea. Actually, it was explored interestingly in the old Star Trek episode, Spectre of the Gun in 1969. Isn't that the gangster one? Uh, no, no, isn't Spectre, isn't Spectre of the Gun the one where... Oh, maybe, maybe that's the gangster one. Yeah, maybe it must be. I was thinking it was the one where the Klingons have given, like, one tribe weapons on a planet, so Kirk and Co. have to give the other tribe weapons just so they can compete mm. at the same pace. I don't, I don't think it is, though. But that's what the title made me think. But given that it's about questioning reality, I feel like you're probably more right, because that one's more <laughs> to do with, you know, the fakeness. 
Uh, yeah, I'm confused by that. So it's been around for, you know, hundreds of years, but like we can't keep exploring it. I know. We uh, can't use it towards a modern setting, even though it's a universal like thought, existential thought. Is can, our reality <laughs> real? He continues. <laughs> the rest of the film is an obvious ripoff of The Terminator. All right, let me stop you right there. The fact that there's an, a, there's an AI villain makes it a ripoff of the Terminator. Like, no one's ever allowed to have an AI villain ever because the Terminator... I mean, I love the Terminator. It's done totally like, new in this also. It's not Terminator I mean, at all. I also think that just because Matrix has a, a fake digital world that we all plug into, that other things... Because I, I remember people saying Inception is a ripoff of the Matrix because it was people going to sleep and waking up in a world. Like, like no, just because like, this is a concept that can have other stories that do different things with it. But Terminator is such a stretch to me. Like, like what connects them is so thin. It it would have to be like that the 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 post apocalypse of just the robots, you know, taking over Earth and trying to kill off any stray humans. That's mm. like the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Um. Oh, baby. We can sort by review date. So it's all the 1999 ones. <laughs> That's way more interesting. The people who are on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Unoriginal and uninspired. This is from Happy Cat. Original. That is so <laughs> strange to me. Like, this is such an original movie. No, like, sure, it's taking, like, themes and stuff that have been around forever. Well, no, no, like... no. To, to be fair, to be fair, apparently there are some plot elements that are were in animes before the movie. So... It, 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 I don't think it's. I don't have yeah, any knowledge I, of anime, yeah. and I, I can definitely see the influence in the movie. Sure, then. yeah. So I, so really talk I, about it. I think we have to acknowledge that and say that okay, the, the, the it's original to a Western audience mostly. I, I don't know how how original the, the whole concepts are, but mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily you know reduce the fact that they packaged it in a really tight scripted film with all the mess. <laughs> like, you know, the, unique anyway. direction. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, the, so that's this uninspired and original uh, one. This is from the second of April, nineteen ninety nine. That's very early, actually. I've had the next one's from the second of April. That must have, must have just came out at the start of April. This is what I'm mm-hmm. learning. Um, so, so I'm not going to read all of these, like all of each of these points. He's got five numbered points, and they're all quite big. Uh, the first paragraph is about Keanu being one of the worst actors of our era. How dare he? He's a treasure. <laughs> I mean, he's not a great actor, but like he's reliable for what you hire him for, which is the man learns how to do his stunts, you know, <laughs> kung fu, and he looks really cool. Uh, number two for Mr. Happy Cat, very shallow and poor development of an unoriginal idea. Oh, that hurts. Shallow. Look, because <laughs> the next sentence of that is uh, the idea that our reality is not real is hardly original. Okay, so no one's ever let to do that idea ever again. Right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Shut up! That's stupid. It's just the hero's journey. What? What does? Yeah. I mean, I'm sick of how many things are remakes, prequels, and reboots now. What does this guy think now? If he if he thought right. Matrix in 1999 was was too unoriginal, what what the hell? Number three, the story dragged, and we were forced to sit through an explanation of the Matrix that was completely obvious. A couple of visual effects would have gotten the point across in less than a minute with more effect. Given how many people I remember being confused about the film, which I don't think is a confusing film at all, but people at the time were confused. So I don't know if I agree with that, based on that Actually, idea. Actually, I, I heard that the the script had to be sent back to rewrite many, many times because it was too confusing. And everybody who was offered the role 
originally said no because they didn't get it. So, mm. I mean, there there is more exp- exposition and stuff in the film because the script was just unreadable. Yeah. But the script's a, a funny thing, though, because you don't have the visuals to, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it they're is, written. It, it is but... such a, like, a high concept thing that you're like, I don't, I need help. Yeah. And it wasn't until they hired someone to storyboard, like, 600 panels or whatever for the film that it immediately was like sold like yeah okay we'll make this movie because we get it now i love how this is about to be a silly funny bit where we just laugh at some of the weird comments but tara's defending every single thing i bring up well because you're reading one out of ten and they're all <laughs> trash they're all trash comments yeah i had, i did have a philosophy teacher in, in high school he was also he was a philosophy teacher but i took a different class with him and somebody brought up the matrix because you know reloaded was about to come out mm. And he just went off on how he thought the Matrix was so dumb and everybody thinks it's so great, but really Plato had this idea centuries before. Like, okay, dude, he's the same thing. I really respected this teacher too, but like, this is the one area where I'm like, okay, you're coming off a little bit pompous here. Mm. Mr. High and Mighty. Uh, I'm a philosophy teacher. The idea of the Matrix is poorly thought out. Instead of creating believable world and believable rules for the Matrix, the plot resorts to physical fighting, which make no sense at all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number five. No sense of despair, darkness, or power from the futuristic scenes. The future world is portrayed so little that we don't really get a sense or a chance to be overwhelmed by how horrible it could be. Uh, I think it implies a lot with what we see. With what they're wearing, with what they're eating, the slop... Like, uh, yeah. with how they're hiding, like, you know, Tasty I'm fine with that. Um, clearly, a lot of the uh, the marketing had the sentence, "What is the Matrix?" And Ma- I think Morpheus says it, or Neil says it a few oh, times in the movie. At the very end of the credits, there's a you, there's a little thing that says, "Go to what is the Matrix dot yeah. com." Password is Something. I can't remember the password. Steak, steak was the password. Yeah. So that, oh, that I went was... there, but it's just an advertisement for the. For the HD 4K Blu-ray set. <laughs> That's all it is now. Well, sure. I mean, times have moved on a bit. <laughs> but, so this, this, uh, so this was clearly just in the market a lot. And this title, the next one, was, What is the Matrix? Dumb. <laughs> they thought they were so smart. I think that's enough. We can wrap that segment up. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, of course. Um, I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers. I realize I already got Tara to tell you about Patreon and I've not thanked the Patreon producers yet, which is a weird order of doing it in. But, you know. Uh, it's a diversion. Tis what it is, yes. And if I said to Tara, you know, because of diversion, without giving her, like, the Patreon thing to do, she would have, like, a deer in the headlights. <laughs> I just would have talked about how much I love The Matrix and how your rating is BS. <laughs> So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Bordner, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Uh, they are Patreon producers for the month. But yes, uh, that's one of the higher tiers. You get a producer credit. Uh, so yes, go, go to Patreon, like, subscribe, all those things. They're all very important. Um, and join us next time for Strange Days. And there'll be bonus episodes on Patreon too soon. Look forward to that. Uh, but that is us. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching sci-fi and computer at Salsa. There is no spoon.